Hello again, this is Buck Benning speaking. Welcome to another episode of the Jack Benny Show from 1949. Tonight's episode focuses partially on The Horn Blows at Midnight, because Jack will be on Ford Theater and doing a rendition of Horn Blows at Midnight, so I thought we would go ahead and bring you that as well. So, after you listen to tonight's episode, if you keep listening, you will hear his Ford Theater performance. Uh, I, tonight's uh, Ford Theater uh, Horn Blows at Midnight performance um, was actually brought to us by the Warner Brother Archive. And the Warner Brother Archive, you'll hear them talk. There'll be an introduction that they put on the, the show. Uh, they are selling... Um, a lot of Jack's movies that have not been available on DVD before, so you might want to go to Amazon and check out the Jack Benny movies that are available, or to Warner Archives' site. Uh, they have now Horn Blows at Midnight, and George Washington Slept Here, also Charlie's Ant is available on uh, DVD, as well as um, To Be or Not To Be, and The Meanest Man in the World, trying to think of what other ones. Uh, Artists and Models is also available. So there's far more Jack Benny um, movies available on DVD than ever before. So it's a pretty cool time for Jack Benny fans anyway. Uh, hope you enjoy today's episode and hope you enjoy our Ford presentation of Horn Blows at Midnight as well. The Jack Benny Program, presented by Lucky Strike. Feeling low. Feeling tense. These eight words are common sense. Smoke a lucky. To feed your level best. Smoke a lucky. To feed your level best. Your level best. That's just how you'll feel when you light up a lucky, because... Lucky's fine tobacco picks you up when you're low, calms you down when you're tense. Puts you on the right level to feel and do your level best. It's important to know that fine tobacco can do this for you. And LSMFT, LSMFT. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco, smooth, mild, thoroughly enjoyable tobacco. So next time you buy cigarettes, remember Lucky's fine tobacco picks you up when you're low, calms you down when you're tense. Put you on the lucky level where you feel your best and do your best. Yes, smoke a lucky to feel your level best. The Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go back about an hour. Jack is in his dressing room getting ready for the broadcast. Rochester, did you run over and get me a sandwich? Yeah, boss, here it is. Good. Oh, for heaven's sake. Sardines. Rochester, I can't understand you. What's the matter, boss? You never get anything right. When I send you for a chicken sandwich, you bring me ham. When I ask you for a ham sandwich, you bring me cheese. When I ask you for cheese, you bring me egg. When I ask for egg, you bring me turkey. And today, you bring me a sardine sandwich. Now, what did I send you for? A sardine sandwich. 
Oh, yes, I forgot. <laughs> but look, Rochester, I figured you'd make a mistake. I asked you for a sardine sandwich because I wanted corned beef. I knew that, but they were out of corned beef, so I brought you sardines. All right, I'll eat the sardine sandwich. Did you get me a bottle of Coca-Cola? Yes, boss, here it is. Wait a minute. This is root beer. That's funny. I asked for seven up. <laughs> Well, at least you got the sandwich on rye. How did that happen? Oh, we never did have trouble with the bread. Well, I better eat it in a hurry. Oh, darn it. What's the matter? And I picked up the sandwich, the sardine slipped out, went into my sleeve. Help me get them out. Mm, what a mess. Well, I'll eat after the broadcast. Now, help me finish dressing. Okay. Which toupee do you want, boss? The one with the part in the middle or the part on the side? Uh, didn't you bring the black one with the widow's peak? <laughs> oh, you can't wear that toupee anymore Why not? It turned gray while you were dickering with CBS <laughs> Oh, stop Dusty, maybe, but gray, no Now, Rochester Who is it? It's me, Jack Come on in, Mary Jack, did you take my fountain pen? Yes, yes, here you are, Mary. You know, I, I use it. I just put down a wonderful joke I want you to do on the program and surprise the cast. Here, read it. Oh, for heaven's sake, Jack. Another joke about my sister, babe? Well, it's funny. Go ahead and read it. I want to hear how it'll sound on the program. Oh, all right. Say, Jack, my sister, babe, lost her job in that restaurant. But, Mary, she was with that restaurant five years. How come they let her go? <laughs> They've got a cat to catch the mice now. <laughs> oh, poor babe And after she let her fingernails grow <laughs> Jack, we can't say a thing like that about babe Why not? That's a funny joke Joke nothing, it really happened to her <laughs> Oh, well then we won't do the gag I don't want to hurt her feelings I'll think of something else Say, Jack, I meant to ask you Are you really going on the fourth theater program March 4th? Yes, Mary, I certainly am Well, I hope you're not serious about doing the horn blows at midnight uh-uh, Miss Livingston, you shouldn't have said that. Rochester, what's wrong with mentioning the horn blows at midnight? It doesn't bother me, but the rye bread turned white. <laughs> Don't be funny. Now, look, Mary, I'm still going to do that play on the Ford Theater. Fletcher Markle, the director, gave me a contract, and that's that. Now, come on, let's get out on the stage. Well, wait a minute. You're not going to do the program in that polo shirt. Why, what's wrong with a polo shirt? Clark Gable wears one. So what? Jane Russell wears sweaters, but I'm a suit gal myself. <laughs> All right, all right. Come on, Mary, let's get out on the stage. Father Time is here. <laughs> Look, Jackson, what'd you stop us for? We were rehearsing a number. I know, Phil, but I just want to compliment you on trying to improve the orchestra. 
I noticed you got a harp this week. Yeah, but we can't use it anymore, Jackson. That was a mistake. Why? What happened? During rehearsal, Frankie woke up, saw the harp, and thought he was dead. <laughs> no. Then he tried to fly over the piano and almost broke his neck. Well, it serves him right for sleeping during rehearsal. Uh, Jack, let's run through our parts till the others get here. Okay. Here, Phil, take a script. Look, Jackson, I don't need no script. I'm loaded with jokes. Phil, take a script. I thought of a gag that's a dilly. Get this. On my way down to the studio, I stopped off at a bar. Phil, take a script. And while I was there, I met a fellow who came from Venice, Italy. Phil. So I bought him a drink. He bought me a drink. Then I bought him a drink. Then he bought me a drink. Phil. We kept buying each other drinks for a couple of hours, and when I walked out, he was under the table. Phil. Phil, take a script. Well, don't you get it, Jackson? The guy who was under the table was from Venice, a Venetian. So what? I'm the only guy who ever drank a Venetian blind. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, Harris, if you lived in Beverly Hills, they'd blow up your house. Well, <laughs> Don't head me off, Jackson. I'm rolling now. <laughs> hey, Liv. How'd you like that joke, lover? Phil, take a script. <laughs> Thanks, Mary. And don't get too close to Phil. He might exhale and disintegrate your nylons. You know? <laughs> now, look, now, let's cut out all Jack, this foolishness Jack. and get down to it. Huh? Uh, Jack, the... Oh, hello, Don. Hello. The hello. quartet is here. You better rehearse them first. Oh, the sportsman? All right. Say, did you tell the boys that instead of a popular song, I wanted something a little different this week? You know, something classical? You know, we have music lovers listening in now. Oh, yes, Jack, and they have a wonderful number prepared. It's Ponchielli's Dance of the Hours from La Gioconda. Oh, I... What was that, Dan? <laughs> Ponchielli's Dance of the Hours from La Gioconda. Oh, yes, that's what I hoped you'd said. <laughs> Phil, can your musicians play Ponchiella's Dance of the Hours from La Gioconda? Yeah, but it'll still sound like that's what I like about the song. <laughs> Look, I don't want them. Have them play what's written. Take it, boys.
Wonderful number you prepared with the boys. Ponchielli's Dance of the Hours from La Cienega. Oh. <laughs> no, no, Jack, that's La Gioconda. Oh, oh, yeah. That's below Sepulveda. <laughs> we had Pico, but I changed it. And <laughs> Sepulveda's funnier than Pico. I don't know. And Phil, Phil, your orchestra did surprisingly well. Yeah? well. What are you so surprised about? I haven't told you this, but they want my band to play at the Academy Awards ceremonies. Really? <laughs> Phil, why in the world would they want your band to play for the Academy Awards? Well, we play loud and it'll drown out the screams of the losers. <laughs> well, Phil, I don't believe that you or your band can... Come in. Jack, look who it is. Oh, yes, Fletcher Markle. Hello, Mr. Markle. Hello, Jack. <laughs> Jack, uh, I hope I'm not interrupting, but... Well, that's uh, quite all right, Fletcher. I, uh, I suppose you've come over to discuss my appearance on the Ford Theater. Yes, that's exactly why I'm here. Good, good. Is there something about the casting? No, not the casting. Oh. Is it about the rehearsals? No, not rehearsals. Oh. Is it about the picture I selected to do? Yes, it stinks. <laughs> what? Jack. Uh-huh. As director of the Ford Theater, it really, stinks. I Why are you, you laughing? <laughs> what were you going to say? Director of the Ford Theater, I beg you, really, don't do this on our program. Now, wait a minute, Mr. Markle. You signed a contract with me, didn't you? Yes, but you tricked me. That contract said you were going to do an adventure story of the sea called Sailing Around Cape Horn. Well, you didn't read the small type in the contract. The full title was Sailing Around Cape Horn Blows at Midnight. <laughs> And that's what I'm going to do. Jack, I think Mr. Markle is right. That script isn't suitable for radio. I know that, Mary, but I went through the screenplay, eliminated all the dull stuff, and I'm just going to do the part that sparkled. Mr. Benny, we have an hour program, not a spot announcement. <laughs> I know it's an hour program, and I'm going to do The Horn Blows at Midnight, and it'll be a great show, believe me. Well, there's nothing I can do about it. So long, Jack. So long, Mr. Marco. Oh, uh, by the way, Jack, when you signed that contract, there was one thing I neglected to get for our records. Uh, what's your social security number? Two. 
two. Al Jolson is number one. <laughs> yes, we got there early. Well, so long, Fletcher. See you March 4th. Goodbye, Jack. To be or not to be, that is the question. Or that tis wiser to use gas and smell up the house or use a pistol and mess up the rug. What'd you say, Fletcher? Nothing. Goodbye. Jack, I can't understand you. Why, Don? Well, if they're so set against your doing the horn blows at midnight, why do you insist on it? Because once and for all, I'm going to prove to everyone that it's a great story. Now, Don, imagine this plot. The chief of the planets sends an angel down to Earth to blow a trumpet and destroy the whole world. And I'm the angel. Now, cut that out! <laughs> I try to do something dignified and everybody has to butt in and... I never saw anything... Oh, hello, Dennis. Oh, hello, Mr. Benny. Congratulate me. Congratulate you? Why? I just sold my bicycle for $10,000. <laughs> you... You what? Yeah, look, here's the check. Let me see that. Pay to the order of Dennis Day, $10,000. Oh, for heaven's sake, kid. This check isn't even signed. I noticed that, but I didn't want to mention it. <laughs> why? When a man gives you $10,000 for a bicycle, why antagonize him? <laughs> Holy smoke. Dennis, I'm afraid you were cheated. Didn't you even get the name of the man who bought it? Oh, sure. He told me his name, all right. What was it? Napoleon Bonaparte. <laughs> oh, fine. Dennis, don't you know anything? Napoleon Bonaparte has been dead for over a hundred years. He has? Certainly. Then what does he want with a bicycle? <laughs> now look, Dennis. Dennis, my child, look. <laughs> Instead of having any more of this nonsense, look at how about running through your song? Okay. Oh, by the way, Mr. Benny, happy birthday. My birthday was last week. I know, but that bubble dancer was held over. <laughs> good, good. Now, what number are you going to do? The title song from Walt Disney's picture, So Dear to My Heart. All right, let's hear it. Okay. September day with the leaves turning brown and gold when you were the dream I would hold so dear to my heart so dear to my heart that December day when we stroll down a snow-white lane, a kiss that we shared will remain so dear to my heart. And when it's springtime and the fields are dressed with flowers, 
you're the sweetest flower in view. Oh, how I treasure all the happy hours and the dreams I shared with you. corner apart every sweet tender memory as long as I live they will be so good song, Dennis, and you sang it beautifully. Why are you just saying that because I'm rich now? <laughs> Dennis, that check's no good. You never like anything that anybody else has. Oh, Dennis, this is the last time I'm going to compliment you on your singing. Because every time I do, you start right in. Come in. Yes, sir, is there... Well, it's Jack Warner of the Warner Brothers Studios. Hello, Jack. Hello. Well, this is a surprise. Uh, uh, what can I do for you, Mr. Warner? Well, Jack, I just heard the news about your making an appearance on the Fourth Theater. Yes, Mr. Warner, on March 4th. And I'm going to do the horn blows at midnight. That's just what I want to talk to you about. What? Look, Jack, you made this picture for us in 1944, didn't you? That's right. It was for the Warner Brothers. Well, since then, our studio has produced The Adventures of Don Juan, Life with Father, Key Largo, John Loves Mary... And this year, our two pictures, Johnny Belinda and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, are up for the Academy Awards. So? So we're rolling again. Let us alone. <laughs> now, uh... <laughs> now, now, just a minute, Mr. Warner. How can you say that? You yourself told me that when the horn blows at midnight was shown in Hollywood, the theater made money. That's right. We rented the balcony out as a trailer camp. <laughs> but, Mr. Warner, you can't put all the blame on me. When you did that picture, you made one big mistake. Yeah, I know. We put film in the camera. <laughs> Look, Mr. Warner, that's an old joke. Yeah, if I had anything new, I'd have put it in the picture. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, but I still think it's a great story. Say, if you didn't produce it good, what could I do? I mean... <laughs> but if you'd have listened to me, if you'd listened to me while we were making it, The Horn Blows at Midnight would have been a terrific hit. Jack, we tried everything. We made a lot of retakes. It was awful how we threw money away on that picture. Threw money away? Yeah, we spent... Over $500,000 for a new finish, and nobody ever stayed to see it. No wonder you can't make good pictures. You fluff over lines. And
Look, Jack, Jack Warner, I want to tell you something. All of that about the horn blows admit I was not my fault. I think that picture had great possibilities. Well, no, Jack, it missed both ways. Both ways? What do you mean? Well, if it had been a little better, we might have gotten our money back in the theaters. Yes? And if it were a little worse, it would be, it would be unnatural for television. <laughs> Never m, m-, m- mind television. <laughs> it's going to be, I'll tell you, Mr. Warner, it's going to be great when I do it on the Ford Theater. All right, Jack, if you won't listen to reason, maybe you'll listen to this. We'll give you $5,000 not to do it. No. $10,000. I'm sorry, Mr. Warner, but money means nothing to me. I've got to listen to the repeat show and see if he really heard that. <laughs> See if I really heard. See if that. I really <laughs> You ought to make your pictures with Jack Warner. <laughs> I know we rehearsed this. I know that. Anything else? Huh? Uh, <laughs> what? Just a little shaky. Huh? I've had a pair of dice in my hands. It'll be very nice. All right, read just what's there. That's all. Read what's there. Here it is. Wait a minute. Here it is. Here. Well, Jack. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see. Go ahead. Mary. You didn't say Mary. I say Mary, please. You got the next one. Go ahead. Well, Jack, here's my final offer. My brother Harry and I are willing to take you into the firm and make you one of the Warner Brothers. No, I'm afraid not. That means I'd have to change my name. If you do the picture, we're going to change ours. <laughs> I'm sorry, but my mind is made up. I'm going to do the horn blows at midnight on the radio, and that's final, Mr. Warner. Just call me Sam Goldwyn. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, you heard me. Just call me Sam Goldwyn. You just got to say goodbye, Jack. Oh, I'll just say goodbye, Jack. <laughs> $50 actor to play Jack Warner. <laughs> I had to get the Jack Warner. What? Jack. What? I've never... <laughs> I've never seen you so determined. Why didn't you consider his offer of going in with the Warner Brothers? I'll tell you why. Because I have my own company. I just produced a picture myself called A Lucky Stiff. And there's a wonderful article about it in the new Liberty magazine. I know, Mr. Benny. I saw it. You saw the article in Liberty about me, Dennis? What did it say? Reading time, 11 minutes. <laughs> Look, Dennis. But I made it in nine. What? I had my bicycle then. Dennis, I don't care about the reading time. What did the article say about... Oh, I'll get it, Jack. Hello? New York calling? Yes, he's here. Jack, it's Mr. William Paley, the head of CBS. Oh, oh, I wonder what he wants. Uh, hello, Mr. Paley. Yes, yes, this is Jack. Oh, yes, I'm feeling fine. How are you? Good, good. What? Yes, yes, that's right, on March the 4th. Yes, I know the Ford Theater's on CBS. And you want to hear something funny? Fletcher Markle and Jack Warner came over and tried to talk me out of doing the horn... <laughs> what? 
Now, just a... I know Mr. Paley, but... But Mr. Paley... But... 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 But what... Why... Why, Mr. Pay... Well... I'm sorry, Mr. Paley, but I've made up my mind and I'm going to do the Horn Blows at Midnight on the Ford Theater, March 4th, and that's final. Yes, Mr. Paley. Goodbye. Hmm. Jack. Jack, how could you talk to Mr. Paley like that? Mary, there comes a time in every man's life when he must have the courage of his convictions, when he must have faith in his own judgment so he can stand up and face the world with pride and with dignity. Jack, what's that sticking out of your sleeve? Huh? Oh, it's a sardine. <laughs> must have got caught in my suspenders. Jack will be back in just a moment, but first... Smoke-a-lucky To feed your level best Smoke-a-lucky To feed your level best Yes, friends, when you're feeling low, Lucky's fine tobacco picks you up. And when you're tense, Lucky's fine tobacco calms you down. That's what fine tobacco can do for you. And that's why it's so important that you select and smoke the cigarette of fine tobacco Lucky Strike. For as you know... L-S-M-F-T. L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. No wonder Luckies are the overwhelming choice of the tobacco experts. Men who can see the makers of Lucky Strike consistently select and buy that fine, that light, that naturally mild tobacco. So when you choose your cigarette, remember that Lucky's fine tobacco puts you on the right level, the lucky level, where you feel your best and do your best. Yes, next time you buy cigarettes, ask for a carton of Lucky Strike. Feeling low. Feeling tense. These eight words are common sense. Smoke a Lucky to feed your level best. Thanks, Fletcher Markle and Jack Warner. Good night, everybody. Be sure to hear the CBS Sunday lineup every week, and don't miss Dennis Day in a day in the life of Dennis Day. Stay tuned for Amos Nandy Show, which follows immediately over most of these same stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. It's time for another trip into the golden history of Hollywood and another podcast from the Warner Archive Collection. I'm George Feldenstein, and I'm proud to be your host for this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the Warner Archive Collection is proud to bring a legendary cinematic masterpiece to DVD for the very first time. Director Raoul Walsh's comedy, The Horn Blows at Midnight, starring Jack Benny. Well, if I were to call this a cinematic masterpiece, 
I'd be exaggerating just a little bit because this is a very broad comedy that was the subject of some derision during Jack Benny's radio career. People would make fun of The Horn Blows at Midnight. But in truth, it's a very screwball kind of comedy that has developed over the years as a true classic. And we've remastered it and brought it to DVD for the very first time. The Horn Blows at Midnight co-stars Alexis Smith and is now available on DVD by going to our website, warnerarchive.com. Today, we're going to remember The Horn Blows at Midnight by bringing you a radio version of the film as it was performed on radio by the star himself, Mr. Jack Benny, along with someone who wasn't in the movie, but was certainly a favorite at Warner Brothers, Mr. Claude Rains. So Jack Benny and Claude Rains starred together in the radio version of The Horn Blows at Midnight that aired on CBS on March 4th, 1949. The program in which you heard The Horn Blows at Midnight, if you were listening to CBS in 1949, and some of you might have been, that series was called Ford Theater. We also want to remind you that another Jack Benny Warner favorite, George Washington Slept Here, is also making its DVD debut. So make sure you go to our website and check out The Horn Blows at Midnight and George Washington Slept Here. But now let's sit back, relax, travel back to March of 1949 as the Ford Theater brings you Jack Benny and Claude Rains in The Horn Blows at Midnight. Here with Mr. Jack Benny in a highly unusual fantasy about an angel who was sent down from higher places to destroy the earth. A story which contains more than first meets the ear. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Benley finally got here. And tonight we present him with Mr. Claude Rains in, of all things, The Horn Blows at Midnight. This is the Ford Theater. Welcome to a full hour of the finest dramatic entertainment with celebrated stars of Broadway and Hollywood. Presented by the Ford Motor Company, builder of Ford cars, Ford trucks and farm tractors, Lincoln and Mercury cars, including the new 1949 Lincoln Cosmopolitan, America's most distinctive fine car, unrivaled for superb performance and luxurious appointments. Now to introduce this evening's program, here is the director of the Ford Theater, Fletcher Markle. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, all disputes, all threats, pleadings, persuasions, and all kidding aside, we're proud and pleased to welcome to the Ford Theater one of the great comedians of the world, Mr. Jack Benny. <laughs> and co-starring with Mr. Benny in the long-heralded Horn Blows at Midnight, we're very happy to have with us one of the most accomplished actors of Broadway and Hollywood, Mr. Claude Rains. This is the second program, by the way, in our Festival of Smiles, which concludes next week with Mr. Bing Crosby. <laughs> the theme of the Warner Brothers picture on which tonight's broadcast is based caused much comment when it was released some seasons ago. Being a fantasy having to do with the destruction of the Earth, the picture clearly raised a controversial issue. And we of the Ford Theater firmly believe that while a radio version of The Horn Blows at Midnight will not end any arguments, it will at least add zest to them. So come with us beyond the Earth's atmosphere on counted light years through space to a place very high above us, the office of the Chief of the Small Planets, an important executive in the system of the universe. You'll be hearing Claude Rains as the Chief with Mr. Benny as a minor angel named Nathaniel. 
And, of course, any similarity between these characters and any characters living is quite impossible. <laughs> Mr. Benny, Mr. Raines, and company, please to begin. Horatio, I tell you, something has to be done about it. Here it is, 1949... And that dreadful little planet is worse off than it ever was. What's the name of it again? Number 33974. It is called Earth. Oh, yes. Nasty little globe. It's always given me trouble, but now it's absolutely out of hand. Two world wars, persecution, hatred everywhere. Greed, intolerance, bloodshed. I'm just about fed up. What are you going to do, Chief? I'm going to destroy it, Horatio. I'm going to wipe it off the face of the... Uh, uh, well, I'm, 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 I'm going to destroy it. Without any warning? Well, the front office has warned them often enough. Quakes, floods, droughts, plagues, everything. But they pay no attention. Those Earth people aren't satisfied with making a mess of their own planet. Why, they're even working on rockets to get to the moon. What do they want up there, Chief? Oh, I don't know. Maybe they're overloaded with the Ritz crackers and they believe that stuff about the moon being made of green cheese. <laughs> I'll bust for Elizabeth, my secretary. I'm going to settle this once and for all. Did you ring, Chief? Yes, come in, Elizabeth. I want you to take down some notes. I'm destroying one of the smaller planets, and I want you to send copies to the recording angel. Uh-oh. What's the matter? It won't make a hit with the recording department. They're swamped with work. Oh, it's always something. What's their complaint? Same old thing. Shortage of angel power. I'm drawing up a new personnel questionnaire. Another one? <clears throat> More red tape. I never saw such incompetence, such inefficiency. You know, this place needs a few big businessmen to run things up here. We need them. And they better start letting them in. That's all I've got to say. What planet are you destroying, Chief? 33974. It's called Earth. Earth? Well, that was created rather hurriedly, as I remember. Yes, it was a six-day job. <laughs> Practically slapped together. Well, I'm going to slap it apart. How are you going to do it, Chief? Well, usually our demolition expert descends, blows his horn, and poof. Just poof? Well, for some of the larger jobs, it's poof, poof. <laughs> but this happens to be a one-poof planet. Anyway, our demolition expert is busy on another assignment, and I'll have to find someone else. Elizabeth, who would you suggest? What about Nathaniel? Nathaniel? That nincompoop, that blundering nitwit. <laughs> he's not a nincompoop, and he's not a nitwit either. And you shouldn't call him those names, Chief. Remember, he's an angel. Some angel. I don't see how he ever got his wings. <laughs> Elizabeth, what do you see in him anyway? Well, he's sweet and kind and understanding, and he plays the trumpet beautifully. That's right. He does play, doesn't he? He's been 455th trumpet in the Ethereal Philharmonic Orchestra for over 300 years. Then he certainly ought to be able to blow the horn. Go fetch him, Elizabeth. I will, Chief, immediately. He's rehearsing with the orchestra now. Nathaniel, please. Once again, gentlemen, and all together this time. <laughs> Mr. 
Step up here, please. Yes, Mr. Beethoven. Uh, what is it, sir? For a hundred and twenty years I've been conducting this orchestra. And for a hundred and twenty years you've been playing the wrong notes. Why? Tell me why. Well, it's, it's a hard number and it takes practice. I'm sure I'll get it if you'll just be patient a little while longer. A little while longer? Yeah, besides, what's the rush? We're not going anywhere. <laughs> what has that got to do with it? We've got 10,000 men in this orchestra, 9,999 musicians, and you. Huh? Why did you have to take up the trumpet? With lips like yours, you should be a glass blower. A glass blower? Yeah, I tried that when I was on Earth. But one day, instead of blowing, I inhaled. <laughs> then I had to walk around with a sign on my back marked Fragile. <laughs> Look, Nathaniel, I don't care what happened to you on Earth. I only care what happens to me up here. Now go back to your place and please don't be flat. But, Mr. Beethoven, the music says B flat, doesn't it? That doesn't mean you should be flat. That means play be flat. Oh, oh I wish I'd have known that a hundred years ago. <laughs> Could have saved so much trouble. All right, Mr. Beethoven, I promise you. Nathaniel! Nathaniel! Huh? Oh, hello, Nathaniel. Elizabeth. I have wonderful news for you. The chief wants to see you. The chief? Is there something wrong? What do I do now? Oh, Nathaniel, don't be silly. You couldn't do anything wrong. Oh, no? You don't think so? Stay around and listen to him play the trumpet. It's better he should have the mute in his mouth. I don't use a mute. I use a derby. Gee, Elizabeth, I'm so excited. Imagine the chief wanting to see me. How do I look? Fine, fine. I'm so nervous. Is my halo on straight? Oh, it's perfect. Now, come on. Don't keep him waiting. All right. Will you excuse me, Mr. Beethoven? With pleasure. All right, gentlemen. Now we can play. Elizabeth, it's been so long since I've seen the chief, I, I won't know how to act. Just be yourself, and don't let him frighten you. If he seems gruff, it's only because he's terribly busy, like all the other deputy chiefs. He has billions of small planets to look after. I know, what a job that must be, keeping them in their own orbits. Well, we're almost there, and I'm so nervous. Hello, Elizabeth! Hello, Daniel! Hello, Hello. Paul! That's a beautiful horse Mr. Revere rides. I wonder why he still carries those two lanterns. Nathaniel, you can ask him later. We haven't got time now. The chief is waiting. Oh. Uh... Horatio, you may not realize it, but getting rid of the earth will be a big help in balancing the budget. Think of all the rain and snow we'll save. Uh, yes, that is a native. And don't forget the thunder and lightning that little planet uses up. Why, we'll cut our electric bills in half. And, oh, uh, by the way, Horatio, remind me to talk to Halley about his comet. There's no point to its traveling around the earth anymore. Uh, yes, Chief. Oh, here comes Elizabeth with Nathaniel. Yeah, about time. Let him in. Here's Nathaniel, Chief. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, he hasn't changed a bit. Oh, well... Nathaniel, how long have you been up here? Uh, 300 years, Chief. I'm from New Amsterdam, you know. Hmm. Hmm. What's your rank? Angel, junior grade, third phalanx, 15th cohort. <laughs> Still junior grade, eh? I don't know why I sent for you. 
Was it possibly about changing my rank, sir? No, no, I see no reason for demoting you. Thank you, Chief. <laughs> I've been going over your record, and it's not too bad. It says here, deportment B, application B, virtue A, mentality... Well, this job doesn't require a genius anyway. <laughs> You'll do. Do what, sir? Do what? Destroy planet number 33974. 33974? Why, that's Earth, my home planet. What will all the people do without it? Where will they live? Well, some of them will come up here and some of them will go to the other place. We have no time for sentiment. But, Chief, why are you destroying the Earth? Why? Simply because there's been nothing but trouble there. Now that the Second World War is over, it's in a bigger mess than it ever was. No peace, no harmony, no cooperation. If they want to end civilization, I'll end it for them. Elizabeth? Yes, Chief? See to the fan who wears his proper clothes for a visit to the Earth. You can attend to all that. Yes, I will, Chief. Gee, it'll be nice wearing buckled shoes and long stockings again. I still have good-looking legs, you know. Nathaniel, men's styles have changed on Earth since you were there 300 years ago. They have? Women's, too? Oh, yes, many times. But now they have the new look, and they're right back to where they used to be. Oh. Well, don't men wear long stockings anymore? Oh, no. But don't worry, Nathaniel. Your knees will be covered. You'll wear long trousers. Why can't I just wear my toga? I'm so used to it now. Because, my dear Nathaniel, you don't, we don't want you to be conspicuous. You've got an important job to do. Oh. Well, Chief, how do I go about destroying the earth? Horatio, hand me that horn. Yes, Chief. Here you are, sir. Now, Nathaniel, you simply blow four notes of the Judgment Day Overture on this horn, and that will be the end of the earth. Gee, it's the most beautiful trumpet I've ever seen. It is not a trumpet. Oh. It's a very special kind of horn. Now, listen carefully to these instructions. You'll proceed to New Amsterdam. It's called New York now, Chief. Oh, New York, then. Mercurius will arrange for your transportation. You will then check into the Waldorf Biltmore Hotel, and a few minutes before midnight, you will go to the roof. Yes, sir. Now, this is very important, Nathaniel. The horn must be blown at midnight sharp. Yes, sir. Remember, that means precisely 12. 11.59 won't do. 12.01 won't do. It must be 12 on the dot. Got that? Yes, sir. I'll see that the horn blows at midnight. <laughs> Leave it to me. All right, now get going. If you do a good job, when you come back, you may find yourself an angel senior grade. Me, an angel senior grade? That means a raise in my base pay. God. <laughs> but if you botch the job, you'll be back scrubbing clouds for the next 500 years. Yeah, I hope not. My knees are still wet. But don't worry, Chief. I won't botch it. I'll make good. That's the spirit. Now, are you ready to, uh... The interplanetary phone, Chief. Department of Small Planets. Chief speaking. This is the salvage department. Any instructions, Chief? Yes. Stand by to pick up a load of scrap at midnight. Hmm. That'll be all, Nathaniel. Are you sure you remember everything? Don't worry, Chief. I won't forget a thing. Goodbye. Wait a minute. Come back here. You forgot the horn. Oh, that's because I'm so excited. Well, goodbye, Chief. Goodbye. Elizabeth, you stay with him until he leaves. See that he gets away in time. Yes, Chief. Come along, Nathaniel. I'll walk you to the edge. I'm going to miss you, Nathaniel. You are, Elizabeth? Yes. Well, I'll only be gone. Hello, Nathaniel. Oh, hello, Noah. Going away? Yes, but I'll be home tomorrow. <laughs> well, when you get back, drop in. I'm having a little gathering in the ark. In the ark? Mm -hmm. Oh, good, good. Who's coming over? Oh, just a few couples. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> thanks very much. I'll see you later. Da-da-da-dee. 
Da-da-da-ding. What are we talking about, Elizabeth? I said that I was going to miss you. Oh, well, I'll only be gone one night, and then I, I'll come back, and we can spend the next hundred years together just talking about my trip. Gee, these earth clothes are funny. What do you call this again? That's a vest. And is this a doublet? No, that's a coat. Oh. Well, what is this label? I wouldn't want to wear someone else's clothes. Who are Hart, Scheffner, and Mark? <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Nathaniel. And by the way, I'd better give you some money. Here. What are these? Gilders? No, these are dollar bills. Oh. Well, I wouldn't know about that. <laughs> See, they feel nice and crispy. And these are $5 bills. Oh, I like these better. They feel even nicer and crispier. Look at the pictures on them. George is on one, and Abe is on the other. Yes. Yes, you'll need them, Nathaniel. And now you'd better go. I'm on my way, Elizabeth. Nathaniel! Nathaniel! Well, that's the chief. Gosh, I hope he isn't calling me back. Nathaniel, I'm glad I caught you before you left. There's one very important thing I forgot to tell you. What is it, chief? Before you blow that horn, be sure to check with Petrillo. I don't want any trouble with him. <laughs> oh, I will, chief. I will. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, Nathaniel. Goodbye. Watch that first step. It's a pip. I will. I will. See you tomorrow. You're listening to the Ford Theater, which tonight is bringing you Jack Benny, starring in The Horn Blows at Midnight with Claude Rains. A brief pause now before Act Two, and some timely hints on car values from Frank Martin. There's an exciting time in store for many of you in the coming week that can make a world of difference in the pride and enjoyment you get out of motoring. That's the time which your Lincoln dealer invites you to spend behind the wheel of a new 1949 Lincoln Cosmopolitan, America's most distinctive fine car. And in just a few miles, you'll discover why the Lincoln Cosmopolitan has no rival. You'll see at first glance that here is an automobile truly distinctive, exclusive in its styling with lines and looks that lift it apart from every other car on the road. You'll recognize as you sink back into the soft foam rubber cushion seats that no other car offers a more luxurious interior, more elegant interior refinements. You'll feel rich custom upholstery. You'll discover unhampered visibility through the huge one-piece windshield of curved safety glass that is almost five feet wide. You will whisk the windows up and down at the mere touch of a button. And as you drive this outstanding 1949 Lincoln Cosmopolitan, you'll discover performance that you have never before known in a fine car. For the great new Lincoln V-Type 8 engine is unsurpassed for dependability, economy, and efficiency. It's so powerfully smooth, so thrillingly quiet, so effortless in its range of acceleration. You can't believe it until you drive the new Lincoln Cosmopolitan. In all the world, there is no other fine car so beautifully new, so thoroughly owner-proven, so superbly engineered as this new 1949 Lincoln Cosmopolitan. Yet it costs very, very little more to own than an ordinary car. Take just a few minutes in the coming week, or even better, tomorrow, to accept your Lincoln dealer's invitation to meet this superb 1949 automobile, the new Lincoln Cosmopolitan. You know you're driving America's most distinctive fine car, and so does the rest of the world when you drive the new 1949 Lincoln Cosmopolitan. Now again, Fletcher Markle.
And here's the second act of The Horn Blows at Midnight, starring Jack Benny as Nathaniel with Claude Rains as the chief of the small planet. Now, Nathaniel, having arrived in New York City, is strolling down Broadway with the horn tucked under his arm. Since it was 300 years ago that he last saw this famous street, it's small wonder that he marvels at the changes. So this is New York. I wonder why they changed the name. Look at that sign over there, baseball today. Boston Red Sox and New York Yankees. Well, I guess it does sound better than New Amsterdam Yankees. (laughs) Gosh, this place certainly is built up. I wish Peter Stuyvesant could see it. How they laugh when we bought Manhattan Island for $24. I bet we could double our money now. (laughs) My, what big buildings. I never saw so many horseless carriages. Look at those yellow ones. See, they go around the corner on two wheels. I wonder if they could... Get back on the car, you jerk. You wanted to kill? No, thank you. Not again. (laughs) The records would be all mixed up. Mister, you better wait for the light to change before you cross the street. Light? Light to change? Sure. You must be a stranger. Ain't you never been in New York before? Oh, yes, yes. I come from New York. But I've been away for a long time. Say, that's a good-looking trumpet you got there. Yeah. How about giving us a little bebop? Bebop? Yeah. Is that bebop or rebop? Bebop or... Is that music? Is it? It's out of this world. Well, that's where I've been, and I've never heard of it. <laughs> Bebop or rebop? Huh? What band are you with? Uh, Beethoven's Ethereal Melodians. It's a very fine orchestra. Ten thousand pieces. Ten thousand? Gee, they must sound louder than Spike Jones. Spike who? Jones. Didn't you ever hear him play "All I Want for Christmas" as my two front teeth? No, but it sounds like a very interesting selection. I'll suggest it to Mr. Beethoven. Beethoven, huh? Yes, I play 455th trumpet. I've been playing it for nearly 300 years. Hey, Johnny, this guy must be a little what's name, like a fruitcake. Uh, what's your name, Methuselah? No, no, but I know him very well. <laughs> I, in fact, I went to his birthday party last month, and he had the biggest cake. Took us two weeks to blow out the candles. <laughs> Hey, Jerry, let's get out of here before the wagon backs up. Yeah. <laughs> well, so long, Grandpa. Give my regards to Beethoven. I will, I will. <laughs> Look at them run away. They were nice youngsters, though. You know, people aren't so bad down here. <laughs> My, the streets are certainly crowded here in New York. Look at all those men and women going into that theater. Hamlet by William Shakespeare. Good old Bill. Wait till I tell him about this. He'd be so happy to know he's finally got a hit. (laughs) Gee, look at all the saloons on this street. I wonder what kind of a drink television is. I don't remember it. What's that big bird doing up there in the sky? So noisy, too. Spelling out something. I.J. Fox. 
Must be a store up there. No, no, that would be impossible. There he is, officer! That's him! Oh, yes. Well, I'll handle him, kids. Hey, you there. You with the horn. Huh? Were you speaking to me? Yeah. Well, I understand you've been playing that trumpet you got there for the last 300 years. Yes, sir. I, I'm with Beethoven's Ethereal Melodians. Oh, you are, eh? Well, what's your name? Nathaniel, third phalanx, 15th cohort. Oh, <laughs> And, uh, Exactly how old are you? Uh, 355. Of course, I tell everyone up there that I'm 339. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really 355. Oh, oh. Naughty, naughty, you're a bad boy. Well, it's only a white lie. You know, I, I just can't get over how this town has changed, and the people, too. Where are the Indians? In Cleveland. Yeah, Bob Hope's got him now. <laughs> Bob Hope? Sure, the big radio comedian. Don't tell me you've never listened to Hope. No, what did he say? Hmm. <laughs> now, uh, would you mind if I ask oh, look, you... look, look. I may be wrong, but I think that's the spot right there. Huh? The place where I was killed 300 years ago. You were what? I was killed here 300 years ago. I was run over by a cow. <laughs> I really was. A hit and moo driver. <laughs> you know, Mr. Beethoven gets mad when I tell jokes. Like... But it was my own fault, you know. I shouldn't have been out so late. Yes, well, look, uh, uh, uh... Nathaniel, third phalanx, 15th cohort. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> look, Nathaniel, when did they let you out? A little while ago. Well, you're, you're going back, aren't you? Oh, of course. I just have to blow a few notes on this horn tonight, and then I'll return immediately. Oh. Well, why wait till tonight? Why not blow the horn now? Oh, I, I couldn't do that. You see, the chief said it wouldn't work unless it was exactly midnight on the dot. The chief said that, eh? Yes, sir. Oh. Well, I guess there's no harm in letting you run along. But you'll remember to go right home as soon as you blow the, blow the bugle. Oh, yes, yes, I will. <laughs> I certainly will. Just as soon as I blew it, I will. <laughs> well... Well, goodbye. I'll, uh, I'll see you later. Oh, no, you won't. If you've been good, I will. <laughs> goodbye. My, what a nice man. Step right inside the store here, folks. The auction is about to begin. Now, friends, I have here in my hand a timepiece that is acknowledged all over the civilized world as the finest example of watchmaking that human hands can create. My friends, just look at this watch. Look at the solid 14-carat gold-type case. Gold-type case? The jewel die, consisting of 24 genuine artificial diamonds. <laughs> the real synthetic alligator strap fit for a king's wrist. Gee. Ah, you like it, don't you? Well, I don't blame you, friends. Now, who'll start the bidding at $300? I'm a bid $300, $300, $300. Who'll say $300? $1. $1. I'm bidding up. All right, who'll make it a dollar and a half? 
My friends, the movement alone is worth that much. Who'll say a dollar and a half? A dollar and a half? A dollar and a half? Can anyone say a dollar and a half? I can say a dollar and a half. <laughs> a dollar and a half. See, I said it. <laughs> so, to the intelligent-looking man with the horn, for a dollar and a half. Congratulations, sir. Here you are. Thank you, sir. My friend, you have a watch there that will last you a hundred years. A hundred years? What will I do with it after that? Oh, well, I'll think of something. (laughs) I wonder where the Waldorf Biltmore Hotel is. That's where I have to go. I better ask someone. Archstree, get your pipers here. Archstree, read all about it. I beg your pardon, but I'm... A piper? You want a piper, mister? Piper? Uh, What's a piper? A paper. (laughs) No, no, thank you. But could you, uh, could you direct me to the Waldorf Biltmore Hotel? Oh, Sonny, Sonny, it's one block down and two blocks to the right. Thank you. I understand it's a lovely place. Had it best. (laughs) I wouldn't live nowhere else. Oh, then you live there? Sure, I got the penthouse there. I just sell these papers for a hobby. My dad owns the four-way coal tablets. Oh. Well, if you have the penthouse, we'll be neighbors. I'll see you over there. That is, if you get home before midnight. Well, thanks again. Goodbye. Goodbye. I don't know where they come from, but I always get them. Poipers, get your poipers here. Poipers. Da-da-da-ding. Da-da-da-ding. Yeah, it was nice of him to direct me to the hotel. The earth can't be so bad with people like him on it. I wonder if the chief isn't making a mistake. Maybe I shouldn't. Oh, oh, I didn't say it, chief. I was just thinking. It's just that it seems such a pity. I mean, there's so many nice... I'll... I'll do it. I'll do it, chief. Don't worry, I'll do it. See, Elizabeth, he's weakening already. I told you he was the wrong one to send. But, Chief, he'll do it. He said he would. He's on his way to the hotel now. I've got a good mind to recall him and send someone I can rely on. Oh, please, Chief, don't do that. Nathaniel's all right. It's just that he has such a soft heart. Well, I should have sent an older angel. Nathaniel is only 339. Anyway, that's what he says. But, Chief... How he got to look like that in only 339 years, I'll never know. I'm worried, Elizabeth. Oh, why don't you wait and see? I'm sure everything will be all right. Better be. If that horn doesn't blow at midnight, I'll drop him out of the phalanx. So this is the Waldorf Biltmore. My, what a beautiful hotel. Sure is crowded, too. Paging Mr. Davis, Mr. Charles Davis. Paging Mr. Davis. Paging Mr. Caesar, Mr. Caesar, please. I'll take it, boy. Is that for Julius? No, sir. Irving. Oh, oh, I don't know. Paging Mr. Caesar, Mr. Irving Caesar. Oh, fiddlesticks. I wanted to ask him how to get to the roof. So near midnight. I'll ask that man at the desk. Boy, take this luggage up to 1023, huh? Oh, good evening, sir. Uh, Good evening. Could you tell me how to get to the roof? Why, yes, sir. You take that last elevator. It's an express. Thank you. And uh, is that clock up there on the wall correct? Yes, sir. It's exactly... Ten minutes before midnight. You're quite certain? Oh, yes, sir. The sun rises and sets by that clock. I'm afraid you've been misinformed if you 
Don't mind my saying so. See, the sun's movements are completely independent of this planet. However, I will accept the time as 11.51 p.m. Thank you very much. I'm sure Western Union will be deeply grateful. <laughs> oh, that's perfectly all right. Are you stopping at the hotel, sir? Yes, for a short time. You staying overnight? No, and neither are you. <laughs> well, goodbye. Going up? Yes, the roof, please. That's a lovely elevator you have here. Eh, when you've seen one, you've seen them all. I suppose so. Is your name Otis? <laughs> yeah, how'd you guess? Otis J. Elevator, that's me. I'm pleased to meet you. I'm Nathaniel, third phalanx, 15th cohort. Why, it's nice in here, so intimate and cozy. Eh, it ain't so cozy when you have to stand in it all night long. All night long? Well, from six at night till two in the morning. Really? And I have good news for you. Tonight you're getting off at 12. Hey, that's funny. The chief didn't tell me anything about it. Well, he told me. Well, I hope you're right. Uh, here's the roof, sir. Thank you. Da-da-da-dee. Da-da-da-dee. Yeah, I wish I could get that right. Da-da-da-dee. What a beautiful sight up here on the roof. And all the stars are out tonight. There's Jupiter, Mercury, and Venus. Hello, Venus. Gee, she's pretty. Well, it's only five more minutes till midnight. Better get ready to blow the horn. Here's a good place to stand, right near the edge. I think I... What's that? Is someone there? Why, it's a girl, and she's crying. Uh, don't cry, miss. Whatever it is that's troubling you will be over very soon. It'll never be over. Never. Never. Oh, yes. Yes, it will. In just a couple of minutes. Please go away. Let me alone, can't you? But I assure you, you have absolutely nothing to worry about. He doesn't love me. He's sending me away. Well, I won't go back home. I won't. <laughs> you can't very well go back home if you're not alive. Not not alive. Yes, of course. That's the answer. The only answer. It's all clear now. Well, I'm very happy to have been of service. <laughs> Less than two minutes left. I'll show him. I wonder what he'll say when I'm gone. Well, here goes. Goodbye, Andrew. Wait. Wait, you mustn't. You mustn't jump. Let me go. Let me go. No, no, you can't. Why not? It was your idea. But suicide is a mortal sin. You let go of me. Be patient. Just a few more seconds. No, I won't be talked out of it. Let me go. You've got to listen to me now. There's very little time. Hey, Peggy. Peggy. Andrew. <laughs> what? Who's this? Oh, Peggy, darling. Hey, you get your hands off my girl. Let go of me, mister. It's midnight. I've got to blow my horn. I ought to jam it down your throat. My horn? <laughs> oh, let him go, Andrew. He didn't do anything. Oh, Peggy, I've been such a fool. Can you ever forgive me? As soon as you left, I realized what a mistake I made. 
Oh, Peggy, I'll never let you go again, believe me. Well, let go of me, then, and put your arms around her. Please, Andrew, it's midnight. i got to blow the horn. Oh, Andrew, I'm so happy I could start crying all over again. Look, not tonight, baby. We're going to celebrate. Come on. Wait, wait, give me back my horn. Here you are, bud. Catch. Whoop! I missed it. I missed it. It's falling all the way down the street. I won't have time to get it. What am I going to do? Now I'll never get to be an angel senior grade. What am I going to tell the chief? I couldn't help it, chief. I couldn't help it. Give me another chance. Please, chief, please. Just one more chance. I want to be a senior. Act two of tonight's Ford Theater presentation of The Horn Blows at Midnight, starring Jack Benny with Claude Rains. Time out again very briefly, and Frank Martin speaking for the Ford Motor Company. A gold medal is quite an impressive thing, particularly when it's awarded to the car chosen as the fashion car of the year. That gold medal has just been awarded to the 1949 Ford. Bearing out the judgment of millions of Americans, the Fashion Academy of New York, after examining all cars in all price ranges, picked the 1949 Ford as embodying all the essential qualities of good taste, modern design, and subtle harmony in line and color. Yes, the style experts have officially awarded the gold medal to the 1949 Ford for its beauty and advanced styling that set Ford apart in its field. And this recognition of Ford styling is not an accident. The 1949 Ford is the only completely newly designed car in its field. Ford engineers, designers, and stylists redesigned the Ford from roof to road, creating a completely new car to give you better, safer, easier driving. Truly modern motoring. And one basic part of that redesigning is Ford's new style, an advanced style that suits a truly advanced car, a style that expresses in steel and glass and chrome, the power, comfort, safety, and solid roadability, the advanced performance of the new Ford. Back of every point of Ford styling, you will find a good reason. More headroom, legroom, seatroom, luggage room. More visibility, more safety, more comfort, more efficient performance. And above all, better, easier driving. The 1949 Ford, alone in its field, was completely redesigned to give you those things. And it does. The 1949 Ford is not just a remodeled pre-war car, but the most advanced car in its field, the truly modern, truly post-war car. You can tell how advanced 1949 Ford styling is by looking at a new Ford and then looking at other new cars of older style. But you won't know how truly advanced it is until you drive a 1949 Ford, until you take the wheel and feel the difference. Feel the big difference that Ford's advanced design makes. Why not ask one of your friends to let you drive his new Ford or see your friendly Ford dealer? When you drive a Ford, you'll feel different. Drive a Ford and feel the difference. The Ford Theater presentation of The Horn Blows at Midnight will be resumed after a brief pause for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
Fletcher Markle again, and now for the third act of The Horn Blows at Midnight, starring Jack Benny as Nathaniel and Claude Rains as the chief. Elizabeth, of all the angels who could have done the job, you had to recommend Nathaniel. But, Chief, it wasn't his fault. Nathaniel was only trying to stop that poor girl from committing suicide, a mortal sin. Well, that wasn't his job. He should have obeyed orders. There are too many people down there committing mortal sins. That's why Earth has to be destroyed. Please, Chief, give Nathaniel another chance. After all, you've only lost one day. I know, I know, but Nathaniel has botched up every assignment I ever gave him. Remember two months ago when I put him in the weather department? All he had to do was to see that the clouds went in the right direction. And what happened? He got the elements so mixed up it snowed in California. Nathaniel. <laughs> Nathaniel No, but Chief, that was an accident. After all, he was new on the job, and he just didn't know. Imagine snow in California. He knows very well it's not even supposed to rain there. That's where we keep our smog. No, Elizabeth, I have no alternative. Nathaniel must be recalled. Chief, if you recall Nathaniel now, you'll destroy all his confidence. He tried so hard to make good. He was so happy at the chance to become an angel, senior grade. If you take that chance away from him, you'll break his spirit. And that's all he's got left. <laughs> oh, please, Chief. Be just a little more patient with him, won't you? Elizabeth, I don't know why I let you talk me into these things, but you always do. Then you'll give Nathaniel another chance? Oh, thank you, Chief, thank you. You're so good and kind, and he'll be so grateful. Well, you better blow that horn at midnight tonight, or else. And that's my last word. Else. I'll thunder him his directions. <laughs> It certainly was nice of the chief to give me another chance. Lucky this horn didn't break when it hit the street. I'll just have to make good tonight. Let's see, there's still a little time before midnight. Guess I'll sit here in the lobby for a while. Certainly is a busy hotel. Aging Mr. Caesar, Mr. Irving Caesar, please. Hmm, same one he paid yesterday. I'll have to ask Julius if he has any relatives down here. <laughs> Julius is so nice. I think Brutus was definitely out of line. <laughs> well, I got about 15 minutes yet. Yeah, I hope nothing goes wrong this time. Pardon me. May I sit down here? Oh, why, certainly. Certainly, there's plenty of room. Oh, thank you. Whoops. Wait till I remove the horn. <laughs> <laughs> there you are. Thank you. Isn't this a beautiful hotel? Yes, yes, it is. I had such a busy day. And you know, in about an hour, the limousine is coming back for me. And I have to go to a midnight supper at the Stork Club. Really? Yes. And then I'll have to go home and get some rest because tomorrow I have so much more to do. I'm going to Saks Fifth Avenue and buy a complete wardrobe for my trip to Honolulu. Oh, you're going to Honolulu? Oh, yes, I have to go. You see, I hit the giant jackpot on singing again, and I've been traveling ever since. <laughs> I, uh, I don't understand. And not what... only that, they painted my house inside and out, and it looks so strange now. Oh. I loved it the way it was. <laughs> Well, 
Look, a lady... I'm Mrs. Watson. Oh, how do you do, Mrs. Watson? My name is Nathaniel. Nathaniel. A third phalanx, 15th cohort. <laughs> oh, I've never been there. Oh, no, no, it isn't a place. Paging Jack Benny. Mr. Jack Benny, please. Paging Jack Benny. Uh, Mrs. Watson, what oh, I meant oh, to say... Oh, wait a minute. Did you hear that? What? They're paging Jack Benny. Jack Benny? Yes. Haven't you ever heard him on the radio? Well, well, no, no. Oh, I, I, I... I hope he's living in this hotel. I might see him. He's simply wonderful. <laughs> I listen to him every Sunday, even though I can't win anything. Oh. <laughs> oh. Well, what does this You Benny... know the thing I like about him? What? He pretends to be stingy and cheap. And I'm sure he's not that way at all. <laughs> he, uh... He isn't? No, I can tell just by listening to him that he's the sweetest, kindest, and the most generous man in the whole world. <laughs> oh. Well, it's nice to know there are people like that. <laughs> and you want to know something? I almost met him a year ago. You did? Yes, I guessed he was the walking man, but they never called me on the phone. Oh, that's too bad. Well, I better wait out in front of the hotel now. The limousine will be coming any minute. The limousine? Yes. Governor Dewey is the one who has to take me to the stork club. That's part of the jackpot. <laughs> Well, goodbye, Mrs. Watson. It was nice talking to you. Oh, thank you, Mr. Phalanx. Uh, no, no, no. It's a thank <laughs> Daniel, third Phalanx, 15th cohort. A uh, goodbye. Goodbye. Well, now, that was the sweetest old... Oh, my goodness. That nice old lady thinks she's going to Honolulu tomorrow. And I have to... Oh, no. <laughs> Look, Nathaniel is weakening. Who cares whether anybody goes to Honolulu or not? He cares, Chief. He worries about everything. That's why he's so... so... Stupid? That's what he is, stupid. I still say we sent the wrong angel. No, you didn't, Chief. He still has time. He'll go through with it. Then what's he sitting there for? Why doesn't he go up on the roof and get ready? Look, look what he's doing down there now, biting his nails. Well, he's nervous. Nervous about what? Destroying one of our smallest planets? It's ridiculous. Well, warn him again, Chief, so he'll know it's almost midnight. All right, all right. I'll send him another thundergram. Yes, yes, Chief, I know. Well, I still got about seven minutes. Gee, I hope nothing goes wrong this time. Monsieur. Huh? Oh, oh, hello, little girl. Hello. Are you lost? No, monsieur, I am not lost. Oh. Oh, I thought the way you were looking at me, you you wanted to ask me something. No, no. You just seem so sad, sitting here all by yourself. I am sad. Why, monsieur? Because of something I have to do at midnight. I'm worried about it. Well, you mustn't worry. My mother told me, even when we were in the camp, not to be sad, because someday everything would be all right. The, uh, the camp? You were in... A prison camp, monsieur, back and forth. Oh. Oh, I see. Did you do something wrong? No, monsieur. 
Well, uh... Would you like a piece of my candy bar, monsieur? No, thank you. Although I haven't had a bite since I came down here. <laughs> Except my nails. <laughs> <laughs> then please, say goodbye to this chocolate bar. Well, thanks. Thanks. What's your name? Angelique. Angelique? That means little angel in French. Oui, monsieur. You know, I'm an angel, too. <laughs> I'm a big angel. You are? What's your name? Nathaniel, third phalanx, 15th cohort. What's your cohort? I don't know. Je ne comprends pas. Oh, then you haven't been in this country long. No. We just came on the boat this morning from France. Oh, and did you say you were in a prison camp? Yes, me and my mama. For three whole years. Then the Americans came and got us out. Oh. Well, where's your mommy and your daddy? Well, my mama is right over there. But I don't know where my daddy is. He used to be a soldier. Oh. Oh, well, Angelique, how is it that you speak English so well? Mama has been teaching me a long time. Three whole years. Three years? I suppose that is quite a long time for a mortal. Especially such a small mortal. And you don't know where your father is? Huh? No, monsieur. But Mama said he was the most wonderful man in the world. And we're all going to be together again someday. Angelique? Angelique? Is he Mama? Here I am. Oh, I was worried when I did not see you. Oh, she's quite all right. We were just sitting here talking. He's a very nice man, Mama. Angelique, were you annoying this gentleman? Oh, no, 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 not at all. We had such a nice chat, and Angelique was telling me what a wonderful man her father is, and you're all going to be together again. Is he in New York? Uh, no, monsieur. Angelique uh, would not understand, but he is... Uh, he's, well, he was a great hero. Oh, I see. And you just arrived from France this morning? Yes. Uh, tonight we are going to take the train to Chicago. We are going to live with relatives there. I have not seen them for over ten years. But they have asked us to come to them. Well, that will be nice. Then your little girl can grow up in a good home like... Oh. Uh-oh. Oh, my goodness. What am I saying? You look sad again. Yes, yeah, I just remembered something. Mama, Mama, can I have another piece of candy? Angelique, I just gave you a whole bar. I know, but I offered to share it with this man, and he ate the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sorry, I just meant to take a bite. Yes. Well, here's some money. You can buy another bar right over there. Thank you, Mama. You know, monsieur, Angelique does not know that her father is dead. Yes, I realize that. She's too young to understand. You see, she was just an infant when he was killed. Monsieur, you don't think there can be another war, do you? Well, not if I... No, I don't think so. Another war would mean the end of everything... There is not a country in the world that could go through it again. Not the way they fight wars now. People would just destroy each other. They would? Oh, yes, monsieur, yes. And yet it seems very simple for a lot of people 
to forget about the time of war. They do not want to remember. But we must remember, monsieur. All of us. And take care. Or we will die for it. Now it is time for people to get to know each other. Now it is time for people to come together in the world. But there's very little time left, you see. I know, monsieur. Oh. You do? Of course. If we do not change ourselves soon, it will be too late. Though the war is over, there is much still not settled. It may take five years or even ten years before we find the answer to real happiness and understanding. But we will find it, monsieur. We must now reach out to each other and find out about each other. By coming here, Angelique and I have a chance to do that. And we are grateful. We must find peace with each other, monsieur. Or we are lost. Yes, yes, I'm sure you're right. But you see... Mama, I have another candy bar. Would you like to share it with me, monsieur? No, no, thank you. I've, I've had enough. Well, come on, Angelique. We must go. Uh, goodbye, monsieur. Uh, monsieur... Nathaniel, third phalanx, 15th cohort. <laughs> uh, goodbye, Angelique. Goodbye, monsieur. Goodbye. Hmm. What a cute little girl. Spent three years of her life in a prison camp. Well, it's getting near midnight. Better take the elevator up to the roof. Going up, sir? Yes, yes, the roof, please. Well, here's the roof, sir. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Well, it's almost midnight. I'm sure glad it's a nice night. It's the last one. Keep thinking about that little girl, Angelique and her mother. They seem so nice. All they wanted the chance to live together in peace. Maybe most people are good. Maybe the war has been a lesson. If that's true, then the earth shouldn't be destroyed. Chief... Chief, do you think that I ought to go... But, Chief, you heard what she said. That little girl's mother. They've never had a chance before. Let them have it now. But, Chief, look, there must be millions of others just like them who need time to get to know each other. We have such hopes for the future. This is what Angelique's father gave his life for, to give other people a chance. And now you want to take it away from them. Chief, let's wait a while. Look, Chief, look. Now, suppose all these people down here don't get together. Suppose there is another war. And the whole world destroy itself. They'll blow the earth to pieces. And then remember, Chief, that would take the responsibility off your shoulders. You won't be to blame. See? <laughs> See what I mean, Chief? You've waited this long, thousands and thousands of years. What harm is there waiting a little longer? Give them a chance. Maybe they'll get to work and live together in peace. Everything will straighten itself out, and it'll be the way you want it to be. What was that, Chief? Oh. 
Then I won't have to blow the horn? I'm glad you changed your mind. Well, I'd like to come back now, Chief. I'd like to see you and Elizabeth and Horatio. And I'd even like to see Mr. Beethoven, too, even though he does holler at me all the time. From now on, I'm going to practice real hard and make him proud of me. Thanks, Chief. I'll leave right now. Going down, mister? Yeah? Going down? No, thank you. Up. From the Ford Theater in Hollywood, you have just heard Mr. Jack Benny starring in The Horn Blows at Midnight. Tonight's version for listening was prepared by Hugh Wedlock and Howard Snyder, and the original musical score was composed and conducted by Cy Feuer. The Ford Theater, a full hour of dramatic entertainment, is brought to you every Friday by the Ford Motor Company, builder of Lincoln and Mercury cars, Ford trucks and farm tractors, and the new 1949 Ford car, officially chosen as the fashion car of the year. It's Ford for the new look in styling, and it's Ford for the new feel in driving. Drive a Ford and feel the difference. Now again, Mr. Markle. May a director identify the principals in our cast tonight. In the foreground... The chief. ...was played, of course, by Mr. Claude Rains, who will soon be seen in the Hal Wallace production, Rope of Sand. Elizabeth. ...was played by Mercedes McCambridge. Angelique. ...was Anne Whitfield. Angelique's mother. ...was played by Jeanette Nolan. Mrs. Watson. ...was Jane Morgan. Mr. Beethoven. ...was Hans Conried. Jerry and Johnny. ...were played by Jerry Farber and Johnny McGovern. Actively assisting were Paul McVeigh, Miriam Wolfe, Eddie Marr, Joseph Kearns, Jay Novello, Julian Upton, Sidney Miller... Herb Vigran, Byron Kane, and uh, Shirley Mitchell. Anybody else? Yes, Nathaniel. Was played by Jack Benny. <laughs> Jack, I've uh, got a confession to make. What is it, Fletcher? After all the kidding we did on your program about the horn blows at midnight, I have to admit now that I never saw the picture. You didn't? I just couldn't bring myself to walk into the theater. Why? It's a complex I have, Jack, the fear of being alone. <laughs> oh. Well, anyway, Fletcher, I want to tell you it was really nice doing this show for you tonight, and I promise you one thing. If I ever make another bad picture, you can have first crack at it. Thank you, Jack. By the way, just one more question before I give you your check. Oh, the check? Yes, yes. It, you know, it slipped my mind. <laughs> get your hand out of my pocket. Oh, oh. Yes, excuse me. What is it you wanted to ask me, Fletcher? Well, you always kid so much about your age. Tell me, Jack, and be on the level this time. How old are you, really? Fletcher, I'm 39. Now, cut that out! <laughs> so long, Fletcher. Goodbye, Jack, and see you again. We'll be listening to your regular program on CBS this coming Sunday night when Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman will be your guest. Now it's the next week. Next week on the Ford Theater, we're going to have a story with music. Our star is Mr. Bing Crosby, and our story is one of his most recent films, Welcome Stranger. It's a pleasant portrait of a young doctor who goes to a small New England town so that the local physician can take his first vacation and then suddenly find himself an unwelcome stranger. We're very happy to have with Mr. Crosby, Mr. Barry Fitzgerald, playing his original role, and we'll be welcoming back Miss Anne Blythe for a return visit. 
I hope you'll be with us. And now until next week, until Bing Crosby, Anne Blythe, and Barry Fitzgerald in Welcome Stranger, this is Fletcher Markle with a good night and thank you from all of us in the Ford Theater. <laughs> Close at Midnight was presented to the courtesy of Warner Brothers, producers of the Academy-nominated Johnny Belinda, starring Jane Wyman and Lou Ayers. The Ford Motor Company invites you to join us again next week at this hour to hear Bing Crosby, Barry Fitzgerald, and Anne Blythe starring in Welcome Stranger. This is Frank Martin speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Well, some films just get better with time, and The Horn Blows at Midnight is one of them. We're delighted to have brought you this rare radio adaptation of the great Jack Benny classic comedy, The Horn Blows at Midnight, which is now on DVD for the very first time, remastered from the Warner Archive collection. You can find it by going to our website, warnerarchive.com, where you'll also find another Jack Benny Warner Brothers classic, which has been remastered and released on DVD for the first time, George Washington Slept Here. So please check out our website and please listen for further Warner Archive Collection podcasts. Have a great day. Good health to all from Rexall. Yes, it's Sunday, time for the Phil Harris Alice Bay Show, presented by the makers of Rexall Drug Products and your Rexall Family Druggist. Good evening. This is your Rexall Family Druggist, taking a little time from behind the prescription counter this Sunday evening to speak for all 10,000 of us, the 10,000 independent druggists who have added the word Rexall to our own store names. You can always tell us by the orange and blue Rexall sign on our windows. The sign means that we carry the 2,000 or more drug products made by the Rexall Drug Company. They range all the way from aspirin to penicillin, and they're as fine and pure and dependable as science can make them. We independent druggists recommend them to our customers because we know you can depend on any drug product that bears the name Rexall. Good health to all from Rexall. And now your Rexall family druggist brings you the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, Janine Roos, Anne Whitfield, Walter Scharf and his music, yours truly, Bill Foreman, and starring Alice Faye and Phil Harris. Two days ago, Phil received a notice to appear for jury duty. Fully realizing the responsibility of jury service, Phil's reaction when he first opened the letter was that of the average civic-minded citizen. I ain't gonna go! (laughs) But the next day, after Alice pointed out that it's un-American to say he wasn't going to go, Phil changed his tone. 
How can I get out of it? <laughs> However, he was unable to think of a way out, and today at 2 o'clock, he has to appear at City Hall to see if he can qualify. Alice and the children are waiting for him to come downstairs. Well, Phyllis, I guess Daddy will have to go today, unless he can think of another excuse. What's left? He's gone through everyone in the book. <laughs> now, now, girls, your Daddy was only joking with all those excuses. He really wants to serve. He wouldn't try to get out of... Hiya, kids. Oh, good morning, Alice. Oh, good morning, Phil. I was just telling the children that... Uh, Phil, what are you doing on crutches? <laughs> I got good news, honey. I broke my leg. Oh, now you broke your leg. Where did you break it? Right in the back of the knee. See the way it bends in the middle? <laughs> oh, Daddy, you're slipping. Two days to think of an alibi and you come up with a corn pole like that. <laughs> well, at least it's better than the excuse he dreamed up yesterday. Which one? Number 18. <laughs> the one in which you wanted me to shave all my hair off so you could tell him your wife just blew her top. <laughs> I didn't say that. Oh, Phil, why are you trying so hard to get out of jury duty? A lot of men would welcome the chance to serve. Yeah, well, if that's true, maybe I could hire one of them to take my place. There must be somebody who'd do it for money. Somebody who'd be... Good morning, Philip. <laughs> well, if it ain't Willie, show me $3 and I'll sell out my own grandmother, Faye. <laughs> hey, Willie, I got a proposition for you. How would you like to be Phil Harris for a day? <laughs> Ooh, what a revolting... <laughs> How do you like that? I give the guy a chance at heaven and he turns it down. You better think that over, Clyde. I, I don't want to be Phil Harris. I've been William Fay all my life and I like it. Only because you were born that way and you don't know any better. <laughs> Forget it, Willie. You couldn't be me anyway. There is only one Phil Harris and that's I. What did my sister ever do to deserve you? I don't know, but she must have led a very clean life. <laughs> she was just a fortunate gal to have gotten the pride of the South. Well, lucky little old me is just the luckiest little old thing that ever did live show now. Oh, right. <laughs> well, shut my mouth, mint my julep, and yuck, yuck, yuck. <laughs> Are you finished, Aunt Jemima? <laughs> Getting back to you, William. You know, it ain't easy to be a Phil Harris. If you're looking for sympathy, you've come to the wrong person. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. Philip, why do you want me to pretend I'm you? Oh, ignore him, Willie. He's just trying to get out of jury duty. He's trying to find someone to go in his place. Philip, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. That's a despicable thing to do. You're completely incorrigible, and it's about time somebody pounded some sense into you, and I... Oh, stop slapping my wrist. <laughs> Get lost, will you? Yeah, very well, but I think you are a cad. If you were any kind of a citizen, you wouldn't shirk your duty. Goodbye. <laughs> One of these days, I'm going to do uh, his ditty. <laughs> understand it. How could Rexall keep a guy like that working for him and fire Remley? Oh, Phil, leave Willie alone. 
He may have his peculiarities, but at least he has ability. Why, if he ever lost his job, he wouldn't have to go around from door to door selling shoelaces like Frankie did last week. <laughs> oh, doll. <laughs> Remley was only kidding. He wasn't really selling shoelaces. After all, it takes more than one week to get a good job. Frankie was looking around. Being particular. I guarantee by now the guy has a fine position. Uh, I'll get it. Fresh fish! <laughs> Frankie, drop that tired halibut and come in here. <laughs> Haven't you found a job yet? I got a job. I'm selling fish. Oh, Frankie. What kind of a job is that? Going from door to door selling fish. How do you like that? Just because he married into money, becomes a snob. <laughs> now, do you want to buy some fish or don't you? All right, all right. If it'll help you out, I'll buy the fish you're holding. Oh, I can't sell you this one. This is a sample. <laughs> A sample fish. Mm -hmm. You don't happen to have a catalog of your new spring line. <laughs> Look, are you going to sell me that fish you got or aren't you? No, I can't, Curly. Been carrying him around for five days now and he's sort of become a pet. <laughs> I couldn't bear to part with little Tomaine. Now look, Remley, I'm not going to stand here and listen to all of this kind of talk. I wish you wouldn't raise your voice. You'll wake my fish up. Besides, in my weakened condition, you're shouting grates on my nerves. All right, all right, wait a minute. What are you weak from? I gave you money yesterday for food. You ate, didn't you? Well, it's this way, Curly. As I left my room to eat, the landlady was standing there barring my way. She stuck her arm out and demanded the rent. Well, it was a question of eating or paying the landlady. Which did you do? Both. Both? Her arm was delicious. <laughs> Remley, are you going to stop now with them wild stories? Ate the landlady's arm. All right, so I'm only kidding. Well, that's better. Now, look. I'd like you to come over sometime and meet Wingy. <laughs> Look, Remley, cut it out, will you? Now, what are you weak from? Well, I was ashamed to tell you, but if you must know, my landlady put me out and I have no place to live. I'm weak from lack of sleep. <laughs> well, gee, Francis. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? I was ashamed. Well, if you have no place to stay, you can... Well, you can move in with me and Alice until you find something. No, no, no. I wouldn't impose on you and Alice. But, Frank, I insist. At least stay overnight. Well, all right, but just overnight. Excuse me. Okay, fellas, you can bring in my four trunks now. Four trunks just to stay overnight with all that stuff? You could stay here a year. Gee, thanks, Curly. That means I can spend my sabbatical at your place. Frankie, look, you're only staying overnight. Hey, Mr. Remley, where do you want these trunks? Oh, put them anyplace upstairs in the master bedroom. Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> put them in the guest room. 
That is, if you don't mind roughing it, Mr. Remley. <laughs> if that's the way you want it, okay. I guess that's life. When a man's down, he gets kicked around. <laughs> Nobody's kicking you around. I'm glad to have you live with us. Alice and me will be... Alice, uh-oh, I gotta tell her. Well, tell her, that's no problem. Ordinarily, no, but with you, it is. <laughs> hmm? You know, Remley, you're not the easiest guy in the world to live with. And Alice might object. Let's go ask her anyway. Why should she object to me? I'm not gonna be putting her out. I don't expect her to change her mode of living just for me. I don't want her to do anything that she... Curly, what's all that racket? That's not racket. Alice is practicing her song for the show. She practices every Sunday. Every Sunday? And every day. Every day, too? Curly, while I'm here, that'll have to stop. Stop? Why? I take a nap every afternoon and I can't be disturbed. I don't mind her singing, but can't she do it some other time? Be quiet, will you, and listen. This happens to be talent. If you were to ask me who the sweetest one I knew was, I'd say you was. If you were to ask me who my favorite point of view was, I'd say you was. I've got a heart that hollers when you're not close to me But when you're here, the funny part is My heart is a spherical, lyrical miracle all the day If you were to ask me who my extra special guy was, I'd say you were If you were to ask me who my rainbow in the sky was, I'd say you were Supposing you paid a visit to a certain preacher Suppose you overheard me practicing I do And you were to ask me who the bride and groom to be was I'd say we was, me and you If we were to ask you who the captain of your crew was Oh, I'd say he was, I mean old corn pone. If we were to ask you who the apple of your eye was Oh, I'd say he was not old ham hock. Yes, old ham hock. Sometimes I think he isn't worth the trouble. But when that curly head of his comes into view, then if you should ask me who the happy ones to be was, I'd say we was me and you. <laughs> Hey, Curly, now that Alice is finished, let's go in and tell her that I'm going to live here. Gee, Frankie, she sounds so happy, I hate to spoil it. <laughs> well, I guess we have to tell her. Look, you wait here, I'll go in and break it to her. You know, this situation requires delicate handling. Okay, Curly. Uh, Alice. Yes, Bill? Um, Alice, um, uh, about our empty guest room. Oh, did Willie mention it to you, too? Mention what? Well, this morning, Willie said he was getting tired of living alone and hinted that he'd like to move in with us. But I put my foot down. I wouldn't have anyone living with us, including my own relatives. <laughs> now, what were you going to say? Have you seen my Harry Carey knife? <laughs> what did you start to say about the guest room? Oh, the, with the guest... Well, mm -hmm. uh, as long as we have the room, I... Well, I... 
Well, I think we ought to use it. I mean... Well, after all, what are we saving it for? Oh, you know very well what we're saving it for. We plan to have another baby someday. A boy, we hope. <laughs> and, well, nobody gets that room but my son. Alice. <laughs> I got good news for you. What? You've just become the mother of a bouncing 185-pound boy. <laughs> Named Frankie. Phil, what are you trying to say? Oh, honey, Frankie's moved in with us. He's going to stay with us. I knew you wouldn't mind, and, and he's just... Gonna... Alice, what are you doing? Looking for your Harry Carey knife. And remember, ladies first. Oh, honey. <laughs> it ain't gonna be so bad. Besides, Frankie won't be with us long. How long? Oh, just until he finds another job. You mean for the rest of our natural lives? <laughs> Phil, he hasn't... Oh, well, if Frankie's in a spot, of course we'll help him out. He can stay. Oh, gee, Alice, I knew you'd say that. You're a sweetheart. Hey, Remley, come on in. Okay, Curly. <clears throat> yeah. Hey, Alice says it's okay. Gee, thanks, Alice. It's nice of you to allow me to stay here. Oh, that's all right, Frankie. But I'll have to ask you to conform to our household routine. Routine? Yes. <laughs> you see, on account of the children, we have to be very punctual. We have breakfast at 7, lunch at 12, and dinner at 6 sharp. Your room is next to the children's, so you won't be able to play your radio after eight, and you'll have to turn your lights out at nine. Do you understand? Yes, Sergeant. <laughs> what time do we have bayonet practice? <laughs> Don't be a wise guy, Remley. <laughs> to go through basic training to live here. <laughs> what are you kicking about? At least you'll be able to get out of the barracks at night. <laughs> Well, I better go upstairs and get my clothes out of the trunk. Okay, I'll go up and help you. Now, don't be long, Phil. You have to be down at City Hall later to qualify for jury duty. Oh, Alice, why do you have to remind me? I purposely tried to forget you, it. You, you've been called for jury duty, Curly? Yeah, and I'm trying to think of some way to get out of it. You got any ideas, Remley? <laughs> yeah. Just get down and let him give you the literacy test. <laughs> that ought to do it. Mr. Remley. <laughs> I'm a little tired of people making fun of my lack of education. I went to school. My education may not be complete, but it ain't my fault if mother had to take me out of Harvard after my sophomore year. Harvard? That's a college. I had to leave just before I got my degree. I was working toward a thud. Fud? Yeah, Ph.D., Fud. <laughs> Alice, I don't think he believes I went to college. How could he doubt it? I'll go get your Phi Beta Kappa key and show him. And I'd better bring your oars, too. What oars? Have you forgotten, Philip? 
Today is the day of the Poughkeepsie Regatta, and you're rowing stroke for dear old Harvard. A raw, raw, rot for sophomore Phil! <laughs> <laughs> What's the matter with her? <laughs> Somebody must have sprinkled paprika in her bubble bath. <laughs> hey, Remley, seriously. Now, look, I got to get out of this jury duty. Why? Well, because I'm sure that they're picking me to be a juror on a murder trial. The paper said they're selecting the jury this week for that wall bed murder case. So? So. I don't want to judge another man's life. After all, I don't know the facts, and them lawyers will confuse me. Oh, there's no sense kidding myself. I'm not too smart. That's a masterpiece of understatement. <laughs> Look, Curly, instead of wasting your time trying to get out of jury duty, why don't you read the papers and learn all the facts about the case? If you do that, you can decide whether the guy is guilty or not even before you go down. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Hey, that way I might not even have to waste my time sitting through the trial. I'll just phone in my verdict. That's right. Let's get the papers and decide right now whether this guy is guilty or not. Well, come on. Well, Curly, we've read all the newspaper accounts of this wall bed murder. I can't figure out whether this guy did away with his wife or not. What do you think? My dear Remley, <laughs> the solution is obvious. After carefully analyzing the evidence and weighing all the facts pertinent in this crime, I have come to the definite conclusion that this man is guilty. Unless, of course, he didn't do it. <laughs> Thank you, Sam Spade <laughs> Remley, look This guy must have done it Now, he claims his wife accidentally suffocated in a wall bed But that's impossible How do you know it's impossible? Well, it's gotta be because you... Look, come with me and I'll prove it uh, Well, how are you gonna prove it? Well, look, we got a wall bed in the little room off the hall Now, I'll show you it's impossible to suffocate when the bed is up I disagree All right, all right I'll pull the bed down and show you We ain't used it in a long time. <laughs> oh. For a minute, I thought you had the harp player in there. <laughs> all right, now look. Remley, do you see all the space in the wall? Yeah. Now, how could you suffocate? Look, when you push the bed up into the wall with a person in it, there ain't that much space. Well, I'll prove it. Curly, lie down. Okay, I... Wait! <laughs> Remley, I'm going to be the perfect host. You're tired from the lack of sleep. Yeah. Lie down. You think I'm crazy or something? You do it. I can't. I can't. I've got to stay alive to serve on jury duty. You ain't working. You got nothing to lose. <laughs> now, look, Frankie, one of us has got to lie down on this bed to prove our point. It's evidence. I don't want to be evidence. All I want to... What are you guys doing in this room? 
Gentlemen of the jury, I give you Exhibit A. <laughs> yeah. What a wonderful subject to reenact a crime with. Say, Julius, there's something we want to talk to you about, kid. Sit down. Uh, no, 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 not on the chair, on the, right on the bed. Yeah, we want you to, to, to uh, rest. Yes, son, we know that you work very hard Stop and... beating around the bush! <laughs> what diabolical scheme are you plotting for me now? Julius, that is an unkind cut. <laughs> Why should I plot against you? Why, I feel toward you like I would toward my own son. And I love every hair on your pointed little head. <laughs> Julius, you misunderstand us. We might have done some things to you that you might consider unnecessarily cruel. But believe me, lad, <laughs> anything we've ever done to you has been for your own benefit. You mean like the time you tried to blow me up? <laughs> How was I supposed to benefit from that? You were down in the dumps and we were trying to give you a lift. <laughs> look, Julius, we're performing a little experiment and we want you to help us. Now, look, I say if a person gets caught in a wall bed, they can't suffocate. But Mr. Remley says they can. And all we're asking you to do is let us stuff you in the wall so that we can see which one of us is right. <laughs> you expect me to get... Fellas, what did you do with the hammer? What hammer? The one you've been banging each other over the head with. <laughs> You'd have to give me a million dollars to get me in that bed. It's a deal. Here's $2 down and you get the balance as soon as you suffocate and prove I'm right. Never mind, Frankie. Let him go. If he don't want to do it, he don't have to. Let's forget it. All right. Come on, let's put the bed back up. Help me lift it, okay. will you? Yeah, it's stuck. Yeah. Oh, oh, wait a minute. There's a release lever in the back of the headboard there. Hey, Julius, reach over the bed and release that lever, will you? Okay. There. <laughs> Thanks, kid. I... <laughs> hey, Frank did, did Julius go someplace? <laughs> he must have I don't see him around I wonder if he's Hey, you folks, let me out of here! He is Hey, where are you, Julius? You know where I am. I'm in this bed. Well, shame on you going to bed without brushing your teeth. <laughs> are you resting comfortably, kid? How can I be comfortable? I'm standing on my head. <laughs> my, my, such a sloppy sleeper. <laughs> Never mind that. Can you still breathe in there? Yeah, but I can do a better job outside. Let me out! Let me out! Let me out! Let me out! Rather a high-strung youngster. <laughs> you see, Remley, I was right. He can still breathe. He can't suffocate in there. No, no, it's too early to tell you. I bet you ten bucks he don't last more than five minutes. Okay, it's a bet. It's impossible for him You're to... You're betting on me! What am I, a roulette wheel? <laughs> I can 
talking, conserve the air. I got 10 bucks riding on your nose. Ignore him, kid. I'm betting on you, too. Inhale deeply. The air is free. Use it up. I don't want to use it up. I want to save this for my old age. Now, you see, Remley, he ain't having no trouble breathing at all. We might as well let him out. Now, do you give up? All right, you win. That darn kid. He's living just to make a fool out of me. Well, that proves my point. Now, when I serve on the jury, I'll know what I'm talking about. I'll be able to convince the other jurors that a person can't suffocate in a wall bed. Suppose they don't believe you. Well, I don't. Julius, will you shut up in there? I'm trying to think. There must be some way that I can prove that he... Remley. Hmm? I got it. Well, we're all set, Remley. Right. Let's get started for City Hall. Okay. Bill, Bill, why didn't you tell me you were leaving? I wanted you to... Bill, what have you got tied on top of the station wagon? A wall bed? <laughs> I'm taking it down to City Hall to prove a point. Oh, go to sleep, will you? Come on, Remley, let's get it. <laughs> Alice and Phil will be back in just a moment. Meanwhile, our Rexall family druggist talks with a rather unusual woman. A woman who admits a fault. Look, I'm just naturally lazy. And I want an easy way to make sure I'm buying reliable drug products. Well, ma'am, I'll tell you the easiest way I know. Look for the name Rexall on the label. Goodness knows that sounds easy enough. But... What makes you so sure of Rexall's quality? Well, now, it would take quite a little time to give you all the reasons. Let's just take one example. You probably use vitamin products, don't you? Why, yes, I do. And naturally, you know that over a period of time, most of them gradually lose some of their potency. Yes, a doctor told me that. Well, the makers of Rexall drug products fortify their vitamin products so carefully that when you buy them, you can be sure the potency is at least the amount stated on the label. Now, that's only one of the many ways the Rexall people go all out to make sure that their 2,000 or more fine drug products will do faithfully just what you expect them to do. You see, we independent Rexall druggists know this, and that's why we've put the orange and blue Rexall sign on our windows. The sign tells you that ours are the only stores where you can get these products. And we tell you, you can depend on any drug product that bears the name Rexall. Good health to all from Rexall. Folks, don't forget to contribute to the American Heart Association. Good night, everybody. Good night now. Good night. The program was produced and directed by Paul Phillips. The part of Frankie Remley was played by Elliot Lewis, and Julius was played by Walter Titley. Alice Faye appeared with the courtesy of 20th Century Fox. This is Bill Foreman wishing good health to all from Rexall. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another episode of the Jack Benny Show from the 1938-1939 season. This episode brings us the second appearance of Jack's polar bear. 
and it's the episode where it gets its name, Carmichael. It is still not um, performed by Mel Blanc yet, but Mel Blanc will be starting to perform it, I think, two weeks from now. So we'll talk about Mel at that point some more. But I just thought I would talk a little bit about um, why I love these particular episodes so much in this time in history, these episodes from 75 years ago as of 20,014. Um, these episodes, sorry, I'm going to backspace a little bit. The poll we had a few weeks ago showed us that this set of episodes was, what, third or fourth most popular. And I said I thought they should be a lot higher. They might be the most popular episodes to me. Uh, I said some of the reasons that they're, they're the most popular to me is there were so many changes happening during this five-year period between, uh, what, 1936 and 1940. And we're like at the tail end of that um, with 1939. But I do enjoy those changes that happen. I do enjoy the fact that Rochester came on board and Phil came on board um, later. Uh, Dennis was to join the show after Kenny Baker left. Um, Kenny Baker will be leaving at the end of this season. But I was thinking another piece that really strikes me that I really like about the show and what makes it so interesting to me is the writing of Bill Morrow and Ed Boulogne. I think is so much fun and has so much uh, life in it that these episodes, even more than the later ones, just feel fresh and um, just like cast just really enjoying each other and having a great time. And I think Ed Boulogne, besides being a fantastic writer, is also a great character actor that I like so much in these episodes. This particular episode, he's going to play a couple different parts, and I just love it. Any part he takes over, I just really enjoy. My favorite of his being probably the soda jerk, uh, because he's so funny at that role. He's not that... I don't think he does that role in this particular episode, but I do love it when he does that. Uh, and then later, after he's not a writer anymore, he continues on to the show as Mr. Billingsley. But I never really got into Billingsley as much as the other characters he plays in earlier episodes. Billingsley is funny at certain times, and other times he just seems off and just so out there that it's hard to really enjoy the character as much, and a lot of folks have said similar things. But these characters he plays throughout the early era of the show are all enjoyable, they're all fun, they all have a, a thread that goes through them that makes them similar, and they also, just his voice and the way he reads a line is very entertaining. And then I think, too, he's reading lines that he's probably written and that would that just gives it a whole different feel. So, one of the reasons I enjoy these episodes so much is Ed Boulogne. So enjoy him tonight for the little bit that he does on the show. Um, enjoy him every week that he's on the show, and and uh, we'll continue to enjoy his writing for a few more years on the show before he leaves us. Uh, anyway, enjoy the show in general. Jake. 
The Jell-O program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Kenny Baker, and yours truly, Don Wilson. The orchestra opens the program with It's All Yours. The other day, one of those inquiring reporters stopped me on the street with this question. Do you believe that men know as much about cooking as women? Well, I had the answer to that one, and I said no, but they know plenty about good things to eat. And that, I told him, is why they all like Jell-O. And ladies, I'll bet your own experience has shown you how true that is. Why everybody likes Jell-O, and no wonder. That delicious, extra-rich fruit flavor makes every Jell-O dessert a brand new and exciting treat. It's a fruit flavor that's rich and full-bodied and supremely satisfying right from your first tempting spoonful to the very last. And Jell-O is really doubly satisfying because it looks so delicious, so gay and cheerful and appetizing. It's a swell dessert, a dessert you can serve as often as you like, for the family will always enjoy it. So look for those big red letters on the box. They spell Jell-O, and Jell-O spells a treat. It's all yours, played by the orchestra. Now, ladies and gentlemen, next Thursday evening, February the 23rd, the winners of the annual Academy Award for Distinguished Achievements in Motion Pictures will be announced. That's right. The recipients of this great honor for outstanding performances on the screen will receive gold statues symbolic of their unquestioned ability. Yes, sir. So tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you a man who hasn't a Chinaman's chance, Jack Benny. <laughs> Well, hello again, this is Jack Benny talking And Don, that was very funny, but uncalled for If I were you, Mr. Wilson, I wouldn't be so sure about my not winning the Academy Award for the best actor Well, Jack, you'll have to admit that your name hasn't been mentioned in that connection Well, that doesn't mean anything I can always be a dark horse, you know Can't I, Phil? Not with that gray mane Now, wait a minute, Phil. Don't jump at conclusions. Did you see my last picture, Artists and Models Abroad? No, I didn't. Go ahead and fire me. <laughs> not gonna fire you, Phil. I'm just trying to bring out a point, that's all. Uh, Don, did you see Artists and Models Abroad? Well, to tell you the truth, Jack, I didn't. However, it was raining one night, and I intended to go. Now, what happened? It stopped raining. <laughs> oh, well, it's too bad, because you sure missed a real tree. Hello, Jack. Hello, Kenny. Say, Kenny... Did you see Artists and Models Abroad? Oh, sure. I went the very first week, and I took my girl along. Oh, well, what did you kids think of it? Don't ask us. We were necking like 60. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. Do you two always neck when you go to a picture, Kenny? No, during the good earth, we made mud pies. (laughs) Well, you were younger then. I'm going to find somebody who saw my picture if I have to start a contest. <laughs> anyway, fellas, my performance in Artists and Models Abroad is deserving of some recognition. I don't say that I'm positive of getting the Academy Award, but 
If I don't, it's a frame-up. Now, listen, Jack, I don't want to shatter your hopes, but there's a rumor that Clark Gable has an excellent chance of winning the award. Who? Clark Gable. Gable? Poof. <laughs> the fine chance he's got. And not only that, I hear that Jimmy Cagney's liable to step right up and cop the prize. Cagney? Yes, Cagney. Piff. <laughs> that little guy for what? For what? Did you see him in Angels with Dirty Faces? Yes, I did. You call that a performance? I certainly do. Oh, why, you take that scene where he was electrocuted. He didn't get one laugh. <laughs> Some performance. Well, for heaven's sake, you don't expect the guy to get a laugh when he's going to be electrocuted, do you? Yeah, I'd have got a laugh. You'd have got applause. <laughs> well, Phil, if you're going to make a joke out of it, there's no use discussing it any further. Oh, hello, Mary. Hello, Jack. What are you all excited about? Plenty. Bill here doesn't think I have a chance in the world of winning the Academy Award. He doesn't? How does Don feel about it? Well, Don agrees with Phil. Oh, move over, fellas. <laughs> to hear this gang talk, you think I was a flop as an actor. Oh, Jack, you always get so upset when these awards are being given out. Last year, you were jealous because Spencer Tracy won it. Me jealous of Tracy? I was not. You weren't? Then tell him what you did to his picture on the billboards all over town. All right, so I drew a few mustaches. <laughs> Is that a crime? <laughs> Me jealous of Tracy. Yes, and the things you said about him. Now, wait a minute, Mary. All I said was, I wish I had my ability and his luck. That's all. Why, Jack Benny, what are you talking about? Spencer Tracy's one of the greatest actors on the screen today or any other day. Oh, he is? Why, certainly. Of course he is. That goes for me, too. Down with Benny. <laughs> Kenny, this isn't a revolution. We're just having a little discussion. Well, I don't care. Don is right. Listen, Kenny, I'm just as good as Spencer Tracy any day. All I need is a break. Oh, I can't stand this. Ladies and gentlemen, the next time you go to your neighborhood grocer, ask him for a package of Jell-O. It comes in six delicious flavors, strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and lime. I'm going out for a smoke. <laughs> hmm. Well, how do you like that? First time I've ever seen Don so upset. Gosh, even his favorite dessert didn't calm him down. Mary, do you think he was really mad? Yes, his chins were just quivering. Gee <laughs> whiz, it's getting so a guy can't even express an opinion around here. I don't see why Don should jump on me. After all, I, after all I've done for him. What did you ever do for Don? What did I ever do? Well, for one thing, I discovered him. That's what I did. Discovered him? Yes. When I first met Don Wilson, he was a barker in front of a sideshow. Ballyhooing for a lot of freaks. That's what he was. How'd you happen to meet him? Jack was a wild man from Waukegan. <laughs> now, Mary, I haven't been around a freak show since I broke up with Princess Zaza, the snake charmer. So there. No kidding, Jack. Did you really go around with a snake charmer? Yes, Kenny. She was a lovely girl. But I couldn't stand that hissing all the time. <laughs> and now, if you've got a song ready, we'd like to hear it. Okay. Just a minute. Come in. Telegram for Jack Benny. Uh, right here, boy. Take it, Mary. Okay. Uh, here, buddy. Here's a nickel for you. Gee, thanks, mister. Now I can get married. <laughs> Fresh guy. Who's the telegram from, Mary? It's from your father, Miami Beach, Florida. Oh, from Dad, eh? What does it say? It says, uh, my dear boy, everybody in Miami seems to think you're going to win the Academy Award. Well. But the sun is very hot down here. <laughs> oh, good old Dad. Always thinking about the weather. Sing, Kenny. Say, Mary, do you think Don is really offended?
an old favorite sung by Kenny Baker. And very good, Kenny, but what made you sing such an old number? Oh, I don't know, Jack. I guess I'm just sentimental. Oh. You know, a song like that brings back a lot of memories, believe me. Memories? Boy, those sure were happy days when I was just a kid and didn't know what it was all about. (laughs) Well, well. Happy days are here again. (laughs) Now, Mary, Kenny has just as much right to reminisce as anybody else. He can have his memories, too. And how, brother? (laughs) Kenny, don't be such a devil. And now, ladies and gentlemen, to get on with the program, I'd like to announce that next week... Hey, Jack, here's Don. Oh, yes, our prima donna has returned. Hello, Don, did you have a nice smoke? Yes, Jack, and I'm sorry I lost my temper. Oh, that's all right, Don, we can all make mistakes. I didn't make any mistakes. Oh. But when you say that you're a better actor than Spencer Tracy, Clark Gable, or Jimmy Cagney, it just nauseates me, that's all. Oh, it does. Well, did you hear that, Phil? Well, Don's right. You sound egotistical. Oh, I do. Gosh, I'm not the least bit jealous of Paul Whiteman or Stokowski. But you would be if you were a musician. 
You're a fine leader, Phil. You have yet to conduct a number where you didn't finish a minute ahead of the boys. Well, that's the trouble with them. They're no good in the stretch. <laughs> well, anyway, Phil, Don and I are talking about an entirely different thing. Now, in my picture, artists and models abroad... Your picture, your picture, that's all you talk about. Well? Fred Allen was right Wednesday night when he said he saw you in Forum. You can't act at all. Oh, he did. Well, let me ask you something. Did you see Allen in that last picture he made? His photo finish? <laughs> yes, I saw it. Well, oh, boy, how he tries to hog the camera. What do you mean? Well, any man that'll put a false face on the back of his head so he can appear in every scene, well. <laughs> and the way he photographs. What they have to go through to make up that pan of his. Quite a job, huh? A job? It's a government project. <laughs> I'll never understand why Universal Studios spends thousands of dollars to make up Boris Karloff when they can use Alan in the raw. <laughs> Boy, will he burn up when I win the Academy Award next week. How do you know you're going to win it? Because I deserve it. I'm an actor, first, last, and always. You're a ham, baked, boiled, or fried. <laughs> Listen, Mary, there's nothing hammy about speaking the truth. Why, in my picture, artists and models are brought... Oh, this is disgusting. You said it. I'm going out for a smoke. <laughs> well, now, Mr. Baker has joined the ranks of the sulkers around here. You see, Don, the bad example you set? And now, ladies and gentlemen, that Kenny is in the other room and it might be a little quieter in here, I'd like to make the announcement that I started five minutes ago. Next week is a special attraction. We are going to present... Now what? Come in. Well, hello, Andy. Hiya, bud! Well, Andy, we haven't seen you for some time now. I was hoping you'd drop in last week for my birthday. Well, better late than never, Buck. Here's a little present Mom made for you. Well, thanks, Andy. Thanks very much. Here you are, Buck. I hope you like it. Well, gosh, look, fellas, just what I needed. A hand-painted sofa pillow. <laughs> Say, that'll come in mighty handy. Yeah, you can put it in your pants in case you meet Spencer Tracy. Never mind that. Gee, it's so nice and soft. Be sure and thank your ma for me, Andy. Well, you better thank Pa, too. He caught an awful cold in his chest on account of that pillow. He did? Yeah, Ma stuffed it with his beard. <laughs> oh, so he cut Pa's beard off, eh? What was the big idea? Well, Ma thought he was making faces at her, and she wanted to find out. <laughs> I see. Well, I'm surprised your Paul let her do it. Is he uh, better looking without it? Oh, he's handsome now. He is, huh? Yeah, when Ma was shaving him, she dug a dimple in his chin. <laughs> well, gee whiz, that's something. It's too bad about him losing his Adam's apple, though. Well, well, all that trouble for this little pillow. Anyway, thanks again, Andy. I'm going to keep this in the living room right next to my melodeon. And now, folks... Oh, Jack, uh, Kenny just came in. Oh, yeah. Well, Mr. Baker, did you have a nice smoke? Yeah. That's good. Boy, am I dizzy. <laughs> well, it serves you right. And now, folks, once more, I'd like to announce that... Say, Buck! <laughs> what are you laughing at? Did, did you hear Fred Allen Wednesday night? Oh, him again. Why? He said you were so cheap, you put your long underwear away soaking wet so the moth would catch cold. Oh, he said that, eh? Well, how would you like to know that Alan doesn't wear any underwear at all? He doesn't? No, when it gets real cold, he just pins his shirt tail around him and lets the rest of the world go by. 
so he better shut up. Well, Alan can say anything he wants to about you because you called him a rat. Why, Mary Livingston, I called him nothing of the kind. You didn't say he was a rat? Definitely not. All I said was if the Pied Piper ever came to New York and walked down the street, Alan would join the parade. <laughs> That's what I said. Oh, then you didn't refer to him as a rodent. No, and the fact that he's partial to food au gratin is just a coincidence. <laughs> And now, ladies and gentlemen, now that I've put Mr. A in his place, we will have a number by the orchestra. What are you going to play, Phil? Guess. Guess. You mean now or after the number's over? <laughs> Andy, stick around. Phil's going to rip into a selection for us. Okay, I can stand it if you can. Hit it, maestro. Ready, boys? One for the money, two for the show. Nuts to Benny, and here we go. How cute. How cute. either Jeepers Creepers or This Can't Be Love, played by Phil Harris and his orchestra. <laughs> Did I guess right, Phil? No, the name of that was Hold Tight, but you were close. Thanks. You know, Phil, I've been wondering for some time, why do you have two piano players in your band? Two? I only have one. Well, who's that little guy with the mustache at the other piano? Oh, he's lost. He thinks I'm Guy Lombardo. <laughs> <laughs> well, good heavens, don't tell him. <laughs> You know, Phil, one thing I've noticed lately... Uh, pardon me for interrupting, Buck, but I think I'll be running along now. I got work to do. Okay, Andy, see you later. So long. So long. Oh, say, Buck, I meant to ask you, did you really get a polar bear for a birthday present last week, or was that just a gag? He went way low on that. <laughs> <laughs> I, wish, I wish it was a gag, Andy. <laughs> Believe me, I've had plenty of trouble with that polar bear, haven't I, Mary? Yeah. <laughs> Tell him what happened when you were training him the other afternoon. Oh, that. Say, that could happen to anybody. <laughs> training him? What are you training the bear for? Jack wants to be ready in case vaudeville comes back. <laughs> That's not the only reason. 
Anyhow, let's forget about that polar bear. Oh, no. What happened when Jack was training him, Mary? Go ahead, you little tattletale. <laughs> well, I dropped in at Jack's house the other day, and there he was all dressed up in a leopard skin, a beanie, and a whip in his hand. Is that so? Go on, Mary. Well, when the bear stopped laughing... He wasn't laughing. <laughs> I had him scared to death. Anyway, Jack cracked the whip and made him sit up and said, Nice bear, give me your paw. <laughs> and what happened? Jack got it right in the kisser. <laughs> Well, I can hardly feel it. Anyway, I got him tamed now, and he knows who his master is. Jack, uh, do you think you know who sent you that bear? I don't know, Don. At first, I thought it might be Fred Allen, but I'm positive now that it wasn't. Why? Well, I had Allen's program on last Wednesday, and the bear turned it off. (laughs) No, he's a pretty intelligent animal, you know? Say, Jack, what are you going to do with that bear anyway? Are you going to keep him? Well, I'd like to, Kenny, but it's so expensive. He eats fish like mad. And he's so fussy, he won't eat what I give him. No wonder. Jack put tails on carrots and told him they were goldfish. (laughs) Well, what's the difference? They're good for him. Hey, Buck, I gotta go now. See you later. So long. So long, Andy, and thanks again for the present. Oh, you're welcome. I hope you get the Academy Award, Buck. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why that should be so funny. You might all be surprised. And now, ladies and gentlemen, as I started to announce so many times this evening, next week is our feature attraction. We are going to present the year's supreme effort by the Benny Overestimated Art Group. None other than our version of Daryl Zanuck's 20th Century Fox production, that dynamic screen classic, that gripping melodrama, that thrilling and sensational triumph, Jesse James. Thank you. Now, owing to the importance of this great feature, tonight we are going to present a few of the highlights from this tremendous attraction. First... Pardon me. Hello? Hello, Mr. Benny, this is Rochester. Look, you'll have to call me back later, Rochester. I'm right in the middle of an important announcement. Okay, boss, I'll just leave my resignation on the dresser. Yes, do that. Your resignation? What are you talking about? Now, look, boss, I don't mind opening doors, running errands, driving your car, and cleaning the house. But when you expect me to be lady and waiting to that North Pole kitten, I quit. Now, don't get excited, Rochester. In the first place, you can't quit this minute. I haven't paid you yet. That's all right. I'll just take some spoons. You'll do nothing of the kind. Now, tell me, what's the matter with Carmichael? Carmichael? That's the bear. What's wrong with him, Rochester? Well, every time I meet him, he wants to rumble with me. Oh, well, he's just being playful. Why don't you dance with him? I did this morning, and when we got through, he applauded. Applauded? Well, say, that was cute. Cute nothing. My head was between his paws. (laughs) Oh, that's too bad. I'm all scratched up like a nearsighted berry picker. Well, look, Rochester, you should have done what I told you to. I told you to put that polar bear in the garage. I did that a half hour ago. That's no good. Why not? I looked out the window just now, and he was driving by in the car. (laughs) Rochester, are you sure it was him? I'm positive. He waved at me. Then it was Carmichael. My goodness, Rochester, how are you going to get him back? Don't worry, boss. He can't go far. Why not? The car's nearly out of gas, and he didn't take any money with him. 
Well, I'll be home pretty soon. We'll go out looking for him. Okay, so long. So long. Oh, say, boss. Yes? If you win the Academy Award, will you give me a raise? I certainly will. You'll get a nice, substantial increase. Man, I sure wish you was a better actor. <laughs> now, wait a minute, Rochester. Just for that, you're going to get a... What's that? Well, blow me down. Here comes Carmichael up the driveway. I bet he got a ticket. A ticket? How do you know? He's got a policeman in his mouth. So long, boy. So long. Say, you know what, fellas? I got a regular gold mine in that bear. He can dance, drive a car, and everything. Gee, if he could lead an orchestra, you could shoot Phil Harris. Hey, there's an idea. I'll get him a baton tomorrow. Oh, yes, our half hour is nearly up. So right now, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to give you a preview of some of the highlights from next week's attraction. Jesse James. Drama. Now listen, Mrs. James, we're going to run a railroad through your land, so I'm giving you just ten minutes to pack your duds and get off. I ain't a-getting off. Oh, Jesse, Jesse. Yes, Ma? This man is trying to take our farm away from us. Oh, he is, eh? Yeah, what are you going to do about it? Nothing now, but you wait till next Sunday night. Action. Oh, hey, you. What? I'm with your hands. Stick them up, quick. Okay, but you're wasting your time. I haven't got any money. You haven't, eh? Well, I'll give you just seven days to get some. Romance. Oh, Zerelda. Zerelda, will you marry me? No, Jesse, I can't. You have no sex appeal. Well, I'll get some by next week. Jello. Don't shoot him, Jesse. Don't shoot him. Why not, Frank? Oh, he said to count six before you lose your temper. Okay, strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and lime. These are just a few of the thrills that will come to you next Sunday night. So be sure and tune in. Play, Phil. Holiday is a grand excuse to have company for dinner, and I think everybody enjoys that. So here's a swell idea for Washington's birthday dinner. A delicious new fruit salad made with cherry jello. You can serve it as your salad and dessert course all in one, and it's easy. Here's how to make it. Dissolve one package of cherry jello in a pint of hot water and chill until slightly thickened. Then fold in one half cup of seeded canned white cherries cut in quarters and one-half cup of diced canned pineapple. Serve on crisp lettuce with plenty of real golden mayonnaise, and believe me, you've got something. For cherry jello has a deep, glowing crimson color that's mighty tempting, and a delicious extra-rich fruit flavor that just can't be topped. Combined with white cherries and tangy pineapple, you get a colorful, shimmering salad that's really a picture and tastes just as good as it looks. So ask your grocer tomorrow for some cherry jello and try this delicious new salad.
number of the 21st program in the new Jell-O series, and we will be with you again next Sunday night at the same time. So be sure and listen in, folks. Jesse James will be our feature attraction. Say, Mary, remind me to stop in a market on the way home. I want to get a can of sardines for Carmichael. One can for that big bear? Yes, and one sandwich out of it for me. Good night, <laughs> folks. Kenny Baker appears on the Jell-O program for courtesy of Mervyn Leroy Productions. Included on today's program was Irving Berlin's We'll Never Know and It's All Yours from Stars in Your Eyes. This is the National Broadcasting Company.